Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. Today, as you will have already seen from the title of this episode, you are going to be listening to us talk about RRR when I am joined by Matthew Essery, aka Wheels Critic, once again. Obviously you'll hear all of that in a minute, but uh, yeah. This was a great episode. It's a long episode. Of course, it's going to be long. It's about an Indian action film, and the film itself is friggin' long. We still are not as long as the film itself, so relatively speaking, we did pretty well. We also have a little bit of an off-topic segment talking about uh, why this film did well versus uh, some of the things that we think are lacking and what this film kind of highlights the differences are between, say, how they make him in India, how they make him in Hollywood, for example. RRR is a huge, massive success, and if you haven't seen this film, I'd say you could still probably listen to our conversation about it, even though we are going to spoil some of the story beats. I personally would say go and watch it, because genuinely, it is one of the most enjoyable films that I've watched this year. It's right up there with everything, everywhere, all at once. I... Really, really, really love the fact that I've gotten so many films this year that I genuinely want to talk about. I mentioned another one towards the end of this podcast that um I might do a bonus episode on. Uh, in this, uh, when we recorded this, I was all for it, but uh, we recorded this a, a little bit ago now, so I've kind of... My enthusiasm has waned for it a little bit. Uh, not the film, just, just talking about it, because honestly, there's a lot to get through. Uh, I have a lot of episodes again built up uh, by design and there's some cool stuff coming next week but uh, there's just been so much fun stuff that I could I could genuinely do a string of episodes that just are about films that came out in 2022 and that's not something that I feel like has been the case for a while it does help that my episodes only come out once a week roughly but even so uh, you know, not everything has been able to go down that route for some time now. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to us because, you know, there's a lot to get through. It's a fun conversation and I'll see you at the end, guys. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the live segment of the show where I try and convince you that this is all live happening right now inside your head. The voices are real. Listen to them. And as always, uh, what feels like as always, we're joined by Matthew Essery. And he definitely hasn't been here very often recently. It's a long, long time since he's been here, but he's back again at last. How are you, Matt? I'm I'm doing good, Scott. Again, you're never going to get rid of me. Uh, but yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm glad to be back. I'm super excited to talk about this movie in particular. And it's always fun to be here, so I'm looking forward to a really good show. Well, uh, something I will just say straight off the bat, uh, my sarcasm will make more sense to the audience than it did Matt, because uh, this is the second time Matt's been back 
to record a film, but the, this episode it will be the first one that the audience hears. The other film will come later. So uh, just just so everybody knows, we're not going mad and you haven't missed an episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been on your show a lot, though. So Hey, I, I've, I've said this to every single person that's been on. People are welcome to come back as often as their free time allows because I have such, you know, I have films that are still sealed in cellophane waiting for their moment to shine. And if people want to talk about them, that's great. And in your case in particular, you are the key that unlocked the Indian cinema potential. Because like I said, I had never gone down that road. And uh, this is now two films that I've watched. So I'm slowly but surely making inroads. <laughs> yeah. I will give you culture if it kills me. I, to, to be fair, it's it, this was actually something I was interested in watching anyway. Like I'd seen the trailers. Obviously... I have seen the massive amounts of hype that this film had. Maybe you can tell me why in a minute, because obviously I don't really understand why this particular film had so much hype. But I was always kind of curious about it. The only reason I didn't actually watch it myself before we sort of uh, mentioned it the other day is because I was aware of the fact that the version that was coming onto Netflix wasn't actually in the original language. And so once I found a way to overcome that, even though, yes, you might argue I'm going to read the subtitles, what difference does it make? The difference is, is that I want the sound coming out of people's mouths to match the motion of the lips moving. Because if it doesn't, that will irritate me greatly. That's a personal thing. You you may not be that way, but I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm one of those weirdos who watches spaghetti westerns with, with English subtitles in the actual uh, Italian language. So I completely understand. To me, it's important to actually hear the actor's voice because the voice is part of the performance as much as you possibly can. Yeah, that, that, that's it. That's 100% it. Like, um, we were just talking off air about the fact that I watched a lot of Hong Kong films back in the day, but they were dubbed versions. And even if they're films that I watched growing up with the dub, I have gone out of my way to listen to them in their original language with subtitles now because the performance is so different hearing how they were originally intended. Now, of course, some Hong Kong films kind of mess that up because a lot of them aren't actually the original audio anyway, because they yeah. didn't tend to do that way of filming, which just is hilarious to me. But at the same time, what they did works, so I can't argue with it. It was also what was intended. So, I mean, sh sure, sometimes you you'll watch one of those movies and it won't be Jackie Chan or it won't be Chinese at Fat, but that's still what the filmmaker wanted you to hear. Uh, and that's not always the case with like, the English dub. But anyway, that's that's already way into the weeds to very, very quickly. So. Hey, no, 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 no. I think that was kind of still on topic. We are talking about uh, a subtitled film in another language to the one that which we speak. <laughs> true, true. Uh, so, obviously, this wasn't a first time watch for you, but it was a first time watch for me. So I guess uh, you would like to hear my thoughts on it <laughs> for uh, a change rather than the uh, other way around. I would love to hear your thoughts on Rise, Roar, Revolt, or as, I, as it's commonly known, RRR. You know, I had a funny thought earlier that uh, that's a great way to tell if someone's actually seen the film or not. It's like, oh, have you seen RRR? What do the R stand for? Because uh, <laughs> uh, that did make me chuckle because I was like, why is it called RRR? And then, ah, oh, that's why it makes sense when you watch it. But uh, yeah, I love this film. Like, I I'm not even going to keep people in suspense. Uh, I gave it a five star rating on Letterboxd, uh, which funnily enough, I, I think I gave Master a, a similar uh, or maybe four and a half stars, I don't remember, but 
I'm doing great so far. I've watched two Indian action films and both of them have blown me away. I knew I was enjoying it when um, I got to the halfway point in the film and I thought I was at the finale because it was just so insane. And then I paused the film to get a drink and I was like, oh my God, I've got how long left to go? And I was like, Jesus, I don't, I, I'm going to need like, you know, an injection into my veins to keep me going at this point. And I was already like that excited. And yeah, by the end of it, that middle portion was like nothing. It just, it just kept escalating and escalating. It was great. I was also very surprised at how much I enjoyed the story, even though it is fictitious. Like I could understand how some people would obviously resonate with a lot of the story points. I do have a slight issue with it, but again, it's not a real complaint because again, I gave it a five star rating and um, that is just like a little personal thing on my part, which is that I get that the British Empire was the bad guy in this film and I, and I completely get that, uh, you know, in this film, they're all racist scum. I would have, uh, however, liked if they could have tried to give them something other than <laughs> just racist scum as a character because it got to the point where it was so over the top and so almost uh, farcical that it was like, how would they even function as a society at this <laughs> point? And again, it wouldn't have annoyed me or been so noticeable, but it was only the men that were that overtly racist. All of the women, bar one, were completely accepting and open and modern, and that kind of like irked me a little bit. But other than that, I really didn't have any complaints. Yeah, it's it's not a film of subtlety. Uh, like I, like I, when we talked off air about this before, when, when, when I said you were gonna watch it, I kind of I kind of warned you that you were gonna see a little bit of the classic. Uh, white guy in international villain acting, which is very, you know, mustache twirling, wahaha, I'm so evil because I'm so white. Yeah. Um, and which is, which is fine because that's the kind of movie it is, but you guys got to accept it for what it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's very much a, it's very much a fable or a superhero story or even a fairy tale. And fairy tales and superhero stories, they're all very kind of black and white and ironed out you know, flattened, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. Superhero is definitely a word that came into my mind on multiple occasions, especially towards the end. Um, I, I felt that the film did a really good job of keeping its action scenes uh, grounded, if not entirely realistic. But then there's a point where I think someone just decided to take their foot off of the safety rail and just went, hell of it let's just go insane with this <laughs> yeah and that's that's just that's, that's part of the hero genre of indian films but like like i said on the episode of master which you can go back and listen to on the archives of the action addicts podcast these are really the superhero films of india but that's that's their version this is their like homegrown version of that concept um now it's it's, it's funny that you mentioned this is a fictitious story but the but the two character the two lead characters are not fictitious characters. They are two very real historical figures in Indian history. They are two they are two revolutionaries in Indian history who who rose up against the British Empire. Uh, now they never met. Uh, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. So the entire story about these two very real men is entirely fabricated, and uh, and even even their characterizations aren't really based in reality. Um, 
the best way I can explain it is, and I, it's going to sound very dismissive, and I don't mean it in a dismissive way. I'm just trying to think of an of an of an analogy. This is his, as historically accurate as something like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was a real guy, but he did not fight vampires. And uh, Beam and Ra- and Raju were very real historical figures, very real political figures in India, but they were not superhuman badasses. Yeah. To be to be honest, that probably makes more sense because originally I thought you were going to say it's as historically accurate as Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai, but actually no, because you made a very good point: is that Abraham Lincoln did actually exist. <laughs> so already that's yeah. more realistic than The Last Samurai. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the crux of the crux of of RRR is the idea of these two fictional, uh, these two these two real people. Like it's basically a what if. Like we, we, you know, now that Marvel's got big, people understand the concept of what if because of the Disney Plus show. It's like what if these two historical figures met when they before they were these very influential revolutionaries in this revolt against the British Empire. Like what if they met? What if they knew each other when they were young? And that's sort of that's sort of like 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 the elevator pitch for RRR. And it kind of it paints this very broad, very, very fun, very rip roaring kind of action story, with a little bit of romance, a little bit of comedy in there as well. But it is in, is in no way historically accurate. Uh, just to get that out of the way completely, I think there's even a little blurb at the beginning of the film, but it actually stresses that even though these two guys were real people, that everything else about this thing is is a work of complete fiction. Yeah, there is. I I actually kind of appreciated that, and it was also f- followed by. One that, uh, again, I appreciated, but it did make me chuckle a little bit, which is that uh, th- they went into great detail as to which ones, but just to summarize, all of the animals in this film are CGI. None were harmed in the making of this. And at the time, I was sort of like, that's weird that you get that at the beginning, because normally we get that at the end. And then as the film went on, I was like, oh, I see now why that <laughs> needed to be at the beginning. <laughs> You know, that's an interesting thing about Indian films. That's actually on the beginning of any Indian film that features animals predominantly, because India has very strict animal safety laws, believe it or not, uh, about how animals can be treated. So, that, so you, any, any movie that features like any kind of animal, even if it's not in like a, what would be considered a dangerous or exploitive way, uh, the animal will almost always be CGI and you'll have that little warning before the movie starts. Oh, well, there you go. I learned something new already. Yeah. I actually do want to say as well, obviously, you can tell the animals in this film are CGI. However, I was pleasantly surprised that they are CGI in a way that doesn't really take you out of it. There was no real point, barring a couple of moments, maybe at the beginning, where I went, oh my god, that CGI could have used a bit more work. But especially, as I say, at that midpoint where they have the big assault on the uh, palace... There's so many CGI animals on screen doing stuff, moving around, running around, attacking people, and it doesn't make you go, oh my god, that looks awful. It actually works. Like It blends in with the scenery, the background, and the lighting really well, to the point that I'm almost going, this kind of actually is making some Western releases look bad by comparison. Yeah, and I, and I don't think it's necessarily because they look real. I think that that I think that they just work very well with the tone of the film. Yeah, because yeah. because when, when you've got you know Ram Sharon and Junior NTR 
being superhuman and flying around a wire, swinging like you know flaming boulders and whipping like statues at each other. To, you know, to have these kind of these kind of hyper realistic animals around them, it doesn't seem out of place. It just feels like more of this exaggerated reality that we're witnessing. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that the 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 lighting and the saturation of the animals, they don't look like they're computer generated. Yes, you can still tell. And I know if you're just listening and haven't seen it, this is kind of hard to explain, but there's a weirdness to CGI and Uncanny Valley that we can just detect as humans. And yes, you can still pick it up in these animals when they zoom in on like their faces, but when they're in motion, when they're trying to do things and the way it's shot, you don't sit there with your brain going, oh my God, that's a CGI thing, which some films really struggle with, but this one didn't. And the reason why I'm pointing it out is because again, I don't associate a lot of foreign cinema, as in not made in Hollywood, with great CGI. Uh, and there are plenty of examples of that on the internet. But I actually really thought that they did a good job with a lot of the CGI use because there's a lot more of it than I think people realize because it's enhancing practical effects. It's hiding stuff that maybe you'd notice otherwise. Uh, and because they're not trying to say make giant transforming robots appear out of the sky, um, people aren't going, Oh my God, this film is labeled with CGI, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that's a real strong suit of, of, the director, S.S. Rajmuli, or, or Rajamuli, I may be pronouncing that wrong. Um, he's got a very strong visual eye, he, and, he, and he's very, he's very, he's very tuned in to what's going on in pop cinema throughout the world. Like he, I mean, he's not just watching other Indian films. He's not, he's not just watching stuff that that are made in the region around him. He's watching American films. He's watching Japanese films. He's watching Hong Kong films. And I think he's taking a lot of these different elements and seeing how best to work them into Indian cinema to kind of elevate Indian cinema in a visual way to more of a what's more seen as a, as a high standard that other you know American films and other countries have kind of reached because Indian cinema hasn't always had the strongest visual effects, but he is one of those guys who's really pushing that forward with his with his use his strong visual eye and his commitment to really seeing. Okay, if they can do that, so can we, and I'm going to try to do that. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, am I right in saying that this is the 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 director that basically said he likes watching MCU films so he can see like what stuff to put into his uh, Indian superhero films? Yeah, that's that that's kind of a it's. I don't know if he's ever said that. I don't know if he's ever said that out loud, but it's it's been draw. It's been pointed out that he does borrow action beats from. He or he has borrowed action beats from the MCU. Like there's YouTube videos that that show like side by side comparisons of like the Avengers and one of his other films, Bahu Bali Part One, where it shows like, oh yeah, that sequence is very very similar to the alien invasion in Avengers, and you know, and it's okay because art should cross pollinate, filmmakers should cross pollinate, everyone should be inspired by everyone. And so I, it's not theft. I mean, and I think when you point that out, people get upset. And you're like, oh no, so he's not stealing things. Of course he's not stealing them. I mean, he's not like he's trying to make a low budget Avengers film. You know, he's not making Revengers, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, um, uh, he's putting these ideas and, and, and putting them through his own filter, his own cultural viewpoint. And he's, he's basically being influenced and inspired 
to make his own thing. And that's to me, that's one of, one of the purest forms of, of, of artistic creation is you absorb uh, inspiration and then you make it into something new and unique to you. No, I agree a hundred percent. I've, I've had that conversation with a few people where, well, uh, not to go too far off the beaten path, but I, I'm just a hundred percent in agreement that it's not stealing from somebody else. If you're inspired by them and you do an homage to them, it is obviously stealing if you're like just doing the exact same thing and trying to hopefully like pass it off as your own work. I mean, those type of films exist. Um, and there is a market for them, unfortunately, and usually they wind up on television. But that's not what this is. And that's not what most filmmakers are ever trying to do. It's that they see something and go, that's really cool. I want to do my version of that. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people struggle with that. Um, but I just think that's a, a reductive way of thinking because if you want to go down that route, then suddenly the only films that you're allowing yourself to really enjoy are the first films ever made in black and white because, well, every film after that copied them, surely. It's, it's true. That's, that's, a, that's an excellent point. That's a good way of saying it. Uh, before we get too far out, deep into RR, I feel like we should talk a little bit about what the movie's actually about other than just this, this fictional meeting between these two uh, historical figures. Um, the, the plot of the movie basically has to do with a, uh, a girl who is basically stolen from her tribal village by by british um i guess you call them uh socialites or what, what's the word i'm trying to think of british uh well uh, they, they kind of go back and forth and, and it took me a while to figure this out but i'm pretty sure that they are supposed to be the governor of india at the time um and obviously his wife is the one that uh, instigates this i don't know if she would have had a title but that's basically what they are so yeah, yeah. calling uh, I, they're not um lords at the start of the film but by the end of the film the male character governor scott buxton he does get knighted allegedly even though they don't really go back to it it's just kind of like a line of dialogue so at which point he would be obviously a sir but he's already a governor he's also like a colonel i think in the british army so yeah they kind of don't really make clear who they are but yes they are definitely politicians of some description yeah, and so basically, the, the, uh, his wife uh, becomes amused by this little village girl who who who, they, who she runs across when they're visiting these rural places, and it basically decides to to buy the girl from the village, but but basically doesn't really give. She just basically takes the girl and and gives the village money for the girl, and basically takes the girl by force, and. Uh, and Junior NTR, he, his character is a, is a basically a member of this village who basically makes a vow to go rescue this girl from this evil governor and his evil, you know, governor palace, you know? Yeah. And what he doesn't know is that, uh, there's another man, uh, Ram Sharon's character, uh, Raju, who is basically working with the, uh, with the, with the royal police force in India. And when you first meet uh, Raj, you, you think, well, he's just basically he's a, he's a race trader. He's an Indian man who's policing other Indian people. And uh, the conflict of the movie comes in where he basically is charged with stopping NTR's character from rescuing the girl and bringing him to justice. And so, but but the but the twist of the film is, and we'll go ahead and get it out of the way. Raj is basically undercover, trying to find his way to where he can get to British weapons. 
to take them back to his village so his village can revolt against British rule. Yeah, he's playing the long game, basically. Yes. He's trying to destroy it from the inside, which realistically has a good chance of working because um, there is a there is another aspect to Raju that I think really helps set up the state of affairs of the film, which is that when we are introduced to both of these characters, they kind of essentially get their own mini film before the film's credits actually roll. And his is this massive action-packed thing where there is a semi-riot going on against the police station that he's stationed in. And one of the uh, the British officers basically wants a man arrested who's at the other end of the riot crowd. And he, being the Chad that he is, who wants to impress everybody, just basically single-handedly goes out there, beats back the crowd, does some absolutely insane stuff, grabs the guy and brings him back, uh, and then takes his position back on the wall like nothing happened. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, what in God's name just happened? And it also disperses the crowd because everyone's like, yeah, no, I'm all right, thanks. I don't want to, I don't want to go up against that. <laughs> but yeah. after that, everyone in that uh, station, including the British officers, are like, wow, that was amazing. He should be recognized for that. And then it cuts to a ceremony where people were getting awards, people were getting promotions, and they're like, three people are going to be recognized for their outstanding service. And it's safe to say that no one deserves it more than Raju at that point, given that no one has done what he's done. And surprise, surprise, no, he doesn't get an award. And the three people that do get an award are white British officers. So right from the word go, it's kind of like he's serving a corrupt system and he kind of knows it, you know? Yeah. And so, first of, all, first of all, I've got to say, you are right. Uh, Raju is is an incredible Chad. Ram Sharon, the actor, like he is. I mean, he may be the most ridiculously handsome man working in film today. Um, but but anyway, so yeah, he basically takes on this mission to stop uh, Junior NTR's character. His name is Beam. This guy who's coming to save this girl. He takes on this this mission from from the from from the government because he thinks if he can if he can arrest uh, Beam. And stop this, stop this conflict from happening. He can be promoted to the point where he can actually get access to these government guns to take them back to his village. So that's, so that, that's basically the plot in a nutshell. And, uh, so now that, now that we got the plot out of the way, I, I want to kind of go into a little bit about why this movie is a big deal because it ties into the actors in the main roles. Uh, we mentioned that Beam, the guy who's coming to save the girl, is played by a guy named Junior NTR. And Junior, the reason his name is Junior NTR was because his father was a very famous actor. His name was NTR. You know, it stands for uh, it stands for. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what the what the NT part stands for, but but the R stands for Ramo Rao. So uh, so you've got Ramo you got Ramo Rao Junior basically as Beam, who's who's a, who's a legacy star, big action star in his own right, big actor in general, and you've got Ram Sharon as Raju. Ram Sharon is also a second generation actor, also an incredibly big movie star in his native country. So you've got these two legacy second generation actors who are who are big stars, but they're also the children of even bigger stars. So just basically like filmmaking royalty, and uh, so and it's very rare for for those usually these kind of family dynasties uh, in India are very very common. Most actors who are big in India 
are the children or grandchildren of big stars too. So you have these filmmaking dynasties. And with any kind of dynasty, with any kind of families, as Game of Thrones has taught us, there's rivalries and there's bad blood and there's there's dislike and there's jealousy. And often you don't see so you don't see a lot of the big name actors or actresses teaming up with the up uh, with their contemporaries. Like you don't see like big name actor A have a team movie with big name, big name actor B. It just doesn't happen because technically their movies compete against each other. They're competing for the same market. So you won't see like a Tom Cruise team up with a Brad Pitt. That's just, that just would never happen. So that's part of why RRR is such a big deal because Roger Muley, who is this very popular and influential director, who's worked with both Junior NTR and Ram Sharon on different movies, and basically came to them both and said, look, I had this idea to make a movie, but I want both of you. And I want to convince you both to do it. And because they worked with him before and they like Raja Mootley, they both agreed to it. And that's monumental for that industry because that just doesn't happen. That's part of why RRR is such a big deal. Like ah, imagine, okay. uh, yeah. So imagine, imagine again, to use a superhero analogy, it really is like a, a Batman versus superman or avengers scenario but with real people yeah yeah and uh and R- roger mooley's also a big deal he's kind of like the in- the indian steven spielberg or michael bay he is a superstar director yeah to be fair when you mentioned Bali, Bali, uh I, even m- me who has never seen it nor knows much about indian film went ah i've just answered i've just answered the question of why there was so much hype for this I remember yeah. everyone was obsessed with those films a few years ago. Yeah. So you mentioned that our, our, what, what does RR stand for? Yes, it does stand for Rise, Rule, Revolt. But cheekily in the marketing, they marketed it as Ram Sharon, NTR, Ramo Rao Jr., and Raja Muli, RRR. Ah. Uh, so it's kind of like a, it's kind of, kind of, kind of got, a, got a cheeky double meaning. And so in a lot of ways, the reason this feels like a superhero team movie is because that's literally exactly what it is. Well, there we go. That's that mystery solved. And yeah, obviously from that point of view, it makes complete sense. Yeah. So that, that's why it's been such a, such, a, such a big deal. And it's just, it's, it's just uh, only grown. And because it, of course it's such a, it, it is such a good movie from just a pure entertainment standpoint. It's paced incredibly well. Like, like every like 20 minutes, there's a, there's a great action sequence or a great song or a, a dance number or something that will really some spectacle that will really wrap you up for a moment and really carry you through the three hour runtime. Because as we've established, Indian films are very long. Yes, Indian films are very, very long. Uh, that was actually one of the things I was thinking the other day when I was because uh, when we did the episode on Master, one of my friends who's a longtime listener of this podcast and probably one of the most uh, devout followers in inverted commas and i appreciate her for it she literally sat down and watched masters so she could actually appreciate the episode and she thoroughly enjoyed it as well so i'm assuming she's going to do the same with rrr but uh it did make me sort of think you know trying to find three hours plus in your busy work life schedule is probably one of the reasons i think why Indian cinema perhaps does not lend itself to the same consumption levels that other cinema might that you can easily digest in 90 minutes or less. And it's just, it's just a cultural difference. And uh, 
And I'll be honest with you, when when I first when I first went to watch this this again, I had the same thing. We're like, oh man, I don't really want to devote three hours to this because uh, you know it's, it's hard to find time. We're all busy, like, like you said. But the but within ten minutes of starting it, I was completely wrapped up in it all over again because it's just like I said, it moves so incredibly well. I mean, both both these lead actors are just incredibly charismatic guys in their own way like their own unique ways and it makes them so easy to watch like um like junior ntr he is he's not quite he's not quite as handsome as Ram, as ram sharon but he's got this kind of like big like doe-eyed expressive is like big like doe eyes he's got this really this really expressive look and he's got this kind of everyman charm to him where he where he feels really suited to play like 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 a kind of guy who would come from simple simple uh, origins to try to be like this this hero that rises up against this oppressive thing because he seems like such an everyman yeah and- I, I i agree um even though you know they they make it very clear although he is an, an, an everyman in inverted commas perhaps in his personality he is very very physically fit um they yeah. do a great job of establishing that uh don't judge him by his looks because you know the the opening segments where he's literally hunting a wolf and a tiger and then he gets that slow-mo shot of his uh uh six-pack ripped muscular body yeah. it's like yeah he's not quite the everyman you might think but yeah by but, comparison but to ram <laughs> yeah but it, but it's he's covered in like manly chest hair too like uh like he's very he's very he's very like blue collar in a way to use like an american way of describing him but you're right he has one of the great character introductions i've seen in years when when they cut to him in the forest, basically getting ready to like hunt this wolf, and he end up and he inadvertently attracts a tiger, and it's such a great little mini movie. Like you mentioned, the mini movies that introduce these characters with with Ram kind of qu- with with him qu- with him quelling that riot, but but uh, but Beam's introduction where he hunts these animals is so cool. Like it's it's just it's just this great man versus beast like mini movie with like with like homemade traps and like. And it's just I, I'm, not even, I'm even struggling with a way to explain it, but it's so kinetic and and, and fast paced, and, and it's full of like badass moments where he where he literally will, will roar in the face of a roaring tiger, and it just makes you want to go fuck yeah, the movies rule, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I mean, that whole sequence where he has a tiger in the net, but the trap uh, kind of breaks, so he grabs it and. He kind of has his uh, uh, Chris Evans moment where his arms are stretched and he gets to pull back and all of his muscles ripple and he, you know, that human strength versus a, the strength of a tiger. And then he clips the trap back in place so the tiger's caught. Uh, it doesn't quite work out like that, which I thought was a nice moment because in realis- realistically speaking, he's not going to overpower a tiger's strength. But I like the fact that they gave him that moment where it's like he almost does. And then they have to use a different strategy, which was just to put him to sleep with some toxins that they had. But I just, I just love that that tension already. Like this is the intro, and it's like, like you said, the film doesn't stop from the second you click play. Just strap in because you're you're going for three hours. There's there's downtime. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you're going to be shattered by the end of the film, but it, they are perfectly spaced out so that there is always something happening and yeah if your introductions is quelling a riot and hunting a tiger it's like yeah these are larger than life people guys and this is the start of the film not the end (laughs) 
it's true. Like, you know, like either one of those things would have would have been the end of a lot of movies. Like w- by themselves, they would have been the climax of films. But here, it's just like a double introduction for what you're going to see. And it's and the movie's just operatic in that way. And it's and that's one thing that's really great. I mean, it's one thing that's great about hero films and and uh, and this whole genre of like of like of every man superheroes that India is so good at. But very few people do it as well as Raja Muli. Like he understands, like see, he understands the 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 tone and the vibe and the way to pace things just right. Like even even the hero things that uh, you, that you've not been really exposed to yet, were, which has to do with like the romance angles and the the overly long flashbacks, which are just part of these kinds of films. And I normally, you know, stop these films in their tracks. Like a lot of lesser Indian films grind to a halt when the hero meets his love interest or has or, or, or where they have the long flashback that sets up why the character is doing this strange behavior. And, you know, and RRR has both those tropes in it. Yeah. But even those are, are enjoyable and interesting. Like, like uh, Beam's romance with, 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 the, with, the, with the niece of the governor who doesn't speak his language it's kind of adorable because it's just it's just sweet and charming and simple, yeah. And you get that really wonderful thing where they have that, that wonderful dance sequence where he impresses her at the British party, which there's a reason that scene has been all over the marketing for RRR. But the dance at the party is is probably one of the one of the best Indian dance sequences I've seen in the last three or four years. I'm not gonna lie, that dance sequence, uh, Natu, the song. Uh, everything about that sequence, I was uh, loving it. I was I was laughing. I was just like, I thought that, that this is just great for a number of reasons. I mean, I, I don't want to just turn this into analyzing that one scene, but it doesn't surprise me that that scene went everywhere because I just remember thinking like it just does so much so well, and it uh, it doesn't get anything wrong in my opinion. And and again, I haven't seen any other Indian films other than the two we've talked about on this show. But typically speaking, if you were to tell me that I'm going to watch a big action spectacle and one of the scenes that's going to stick with me the most is a dance-off, that should tell you straight away how good this scene is. Yeah, it's it's funny you use the word dance-off, because that's really what it is. It's basically like step up for, you know, because I mean, you've got like the, like, like the evil white guy like showing him dance moves, like you can't dance as well as I can. And they're like, oh yeah, watch us. Uh, with our you know cool what? Indian dance moves. That that to me was one of the things that was like grating on my nerves because that's one of the scenes where all of the guys are being exactly how I expected them to be. You know, they're they're not particularly nice, they're very pushy, they don't treat anybody particularly well, but obviously they have an even lesser opinion of the Indians and a random black guy that's playing one of the instruments. Um they just, you know, they're just arrogant assholes. But all of the women aren't and were very receptive to this new style of music that none of them have ever been exposed to. And the guys end up just sort of sitting in the background with their arms folded like... Rrr, 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 rrr. But what I liked is, by the end of the song, they got so pissed off with the fact that they were basically getting outstaged. They were like, hang on a minute. We're all actually pretty good dancers in ourselves. Why are we letting them steal the show? And they basically join in. And by the end of that song, yeah, they haven't gone through this massive change of character. They're no more, they're not suddenly like great people, but you could see it on their faces that they're kind of like, actually, that was kind of fun. Maybe we're 
maybe we're not always in the right, you know? They don't really ever go back to that, but I, I kind of really like the way that scene played out. Like, they broke through a barrier that was there in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect, if that makes sense. Oh, no, I agree. And, and I think it was born out of the idea that you want to have, you know, pretty girls in these dance sequences. And that's, that's why I think all, all, all the women kind of, kind of over simply just accept it. And, uh, but I think you're right. It does become more clever when, when, when the rivals start dancing along too, almost in a competing sort of way to kind of, kind of, to kind of create that idea of being like a Busby Berkeley dance sequence. Cause you want to have these ornate, multi-people dance sequences in these indian films it's just it's you got to have it it's part it's part of the culture and though but the way it approaches it is fairly clever yeah and i think it's it you know like you said it's easy to just write it off as well they want a dance sequence so this is the easiest way to come about it but i really like scenes like that that can be interpreted in different ways and to me that it, it sounds corny to say out loud but it's like the things that people enjoy, the things that you can show other people about your culture, about your traditions, is the fastest and easiest way to break down someone's prejudice against someone else. You're not trying to argue with them. You're not trying to fight them. You're not being aggressive. You're doing exactly the opposite. And it's, it, it's really difficult to not want to get involved and, and dance and find it interesting and entertaining, even if you're dead set against it, like they were, because, well, they're the only ones not joining in now. And it's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll do it out of spite then just to prove that we can. And it's like, once they start it, you can tell, I love the way the actors play it, that it's like, we're doing this because we don't want to, but by the end of it, it's like, no, we're, we're kind of doing it because we actually want to as well, you know? That's a great point, Scott. So uh, that, that makes me think. I want to ask you. You you, mean, you actually you actually texted me. You texted me while you're watching the film, saying that you really like the music in the in uh, RRR. Uh, so what about what about the music in this appealed to you? Well, what about it stuck out to you so much that you felt like you had to text me about it? I ah uh, yeah. I think it was more the fact of um, Master had a couple of good songs in terms of the story as in you know when you're watching it it, it really fits with the film however uh this particular song uh being the pri was when i text you i will add it was natu natu yeah and uh it it's the sort of music that i would i would and have listened to outside of the film like there's something about the music itself that is just so infectious that it kind of uh, maybe I'm alone on this one because, like, I can't dance. Like, for for clarity, like, I, it's not a skill I possess in terms of I've never learned it. But I come from families that can, and like my my grandparents were rock and roll dancers. They they could out outdance anyone. They had amazing stamina, coordination, and it is in me. I just you know I channeled it in martial arts and other stuff. So, but I know that when I uh, do dance, I kind of get very enthusiastic. And I'm going to be completely honest here. When I watched the Natu Natu segment of the film, there was uh, a big part of me that was thinking, that doesn't look like complicated. I kind of <laughs> want to try that. And I just think like if, if one song can kind of make you do that, it's like, there's got to be something to it. And, uh, I, I, I don't know if you know or not, but I've just looked it up on, uh, on YouTube. The video for Natu Natu has over 80, well, nearly 83 million views. So. I think quite a few people feel the same way. 
Yeah, it's an incredibly catchy song, considering it's in a, it's in a language that neither you or I speak. Um, exactly. Um, I I assume like this is probably a good question. Actually, it might be a stupid one, but I assume that it is actually the two leads singing it, right? Uh, you know, I I don't think so. I there's one uh, thing we didn't really, there's one thing we didn't really talk about much during Master is that India had, and thank you for giving me a, a reason to explain another aspect of Indian cinema because I do like talking about this stuff. Uh. Indian cinema uses something called playback singers, and it's it's kind of like what you would think, where where the actor will basically mime the the singing while they're dancing, and then they will have a, a recording artist basically do the song, and they just lay it over the video. Uh, n- n- not everyone does that. Like like VJ, who we talked about in uh, Master, he sings his own songs. I don't I don't believe that Ram Sharon and Jnantiar do their own singing. Um, I may be wrong about that. I may get angry DMs and emails about it, but uh, I don't. I don't think they do. To be fair, you won't. Um, I, I apologize in advance to the pronunciations of this, but it actually says right here in the video I had open. In fact, I'm not even going to attempt their last names, but it's sung by Rahul and Carla. So yeah, it's not the leads of this film. Yeah, but th- but there's a whole industry of like that. That's that's like their pop music in India too. That's like like. The film songs are like pop music in India. So, I mean, it's a very respected profession. They have awards and they're, they're very, they're very much considered as much a part of the film as the actor. Like, you know, if that, if that was done in America, yeah, it'd be downplayed or they wouldn't really talk about it. It'd be like a dirty little secret, uh, which we've seen with, with some, with some things like that in, in, in Western film. But in India, playback singers are, are very much like, considered a fundamental part of the process and really respected and uh and treated as stars in their own right hey you know what i'm gonna be honest i kind of prefer it that way because like i've always said that uh, it's more important in my eyes to get the person that's right for the role and it's and in this case the voice that suits the role i don't think there's any issue with saying you know we want professional singers professional uh, musicians to come in and do these bits and then we'll just, you know, pretend that it's us because that's like the whole point of acting is you're pretending. Yeah. And it's the same with like doing voiceover work. You want the guy or girl that sounds like the character that you want them to be rather than maybe casting the person that looks like them, which is ridiculous because the way you look has no impact on how you sound. You know, the amount of times people will say, Oh, you don't look how you sound and it's like okay what did you think i looked like based on my voice then you know it's 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 one of those weird things that people make inferences based on your voice but it it might not be them singing but please tell me that they are like professionally trained as dance because if they just pick this up (laughs) off the fly then they've just like completely obliterated everybody else's confidence <laughs> well it, well it goes back to remember i mentioned that, that they are they are the children of they're the children of, of movie stars these are these are film dynasties so yeah. these kids these kids were, were were raised from very early age thinking they were probably going to be movie stars so these guys have I mean, most most beginning stars are good dancers now some of them are better than others like i think ram sharon's and again i may get angry emails for this but i think ram sharon's a, a little bit better dancer than ben junior ntr but they're both they're both very accomplished dancers uh, but I, th- um, I think it's just that they have different styles in their footwork um i noticed that uh when i was re-watching the video earlier 
Um, they are, I, I can definitely see why someone would say that Ram is a better dancer than NTR, but I think it just comes down to the energy that they put into their dances in different limbs. You know, Ram's very good with his feet and I think NTR has just a little bit more with his arms, but like you say, it's, 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 it's not really something that you're going to notice when you just watch it. You'll just be blown away by how in sync they are. Yeah, that's how I feel about about any really good Indian dance routine is because I'm always I'm, I'm always blown away by the athleticism and the timing. And I mean, like I said, I've seen some Indian movies where you're like, oh, yeah, like that guy or that girl is not a good dancer. But but the big the biggest stars in, in Indian films almost always are in just impeccable dancers. And it's something I kind of love about it because like, we, we know, we've often talked about the relation between dance and action. They're two very similar disciplines whether action fans want to admit that or not they really are well especially in in the world of film because it's all just choreography um exactly you know it it really comes down to can you learn these movements and replicate them and memorize them realistically whether there's music or not is irrelevant it's just can you learn the motion yeah it's all about rhythm yeah yeah to be honest i mean uh not that we you know, we were talking a little bit about uh, him off air, but I think Jackie Chan has uh, the best description of a good fight scene in one of his documentaries where he was saying that, you know, there is a rhythm to a fight scene and the rhythm isn't necessarily the same between different people's styles, between different martial arts styles and approaches, especially these days where everything's kind of changed a bit from when that documentary was filmed. But if you can't, get that rhythm right of the one, two, three back and forth and get the the camera editing and the uh, shots to work with the rhythm that you want, the audience might not understand why it's not working for them, but they will definitely know it's not working. And that's usually why, because the rhythm's not there. Yeah, that's that's why that's why some action sequences that should be really good don't work. Uh like like there's a there's a very popular action movie that came out uh last year called Nobody stars Bob Odenkirk. Yep. Uh and it's got some good action sequences in it, but some of the action sequences near the end really fall flat for me. And this is again off topic, but it's kind of related. And they fall flat for me because it's like you said the, the actual beat for beat rhythm of of the action at the end of the film is slightly off. Like it doesn't follow a nice musical rhythm and it just shows um, and, and you can just feel it in, in your body when it's not working for you. And that's why some movies that don't have great choreography still work because they have the rhythm down and some that have good choreography look flat because the rhythm is off with the, the filmmaking throws the rhythm off. And it's a very delicate thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, some films, they lend themselves to being less, uh, rhythmic than others, but it, at the end of the day, it's always going to be there. It's just a matter of how well can you disguise it. And I think some films do a better job of that than others. And sometimes people will mistake, you know, uh, as someone who's really good at doing these performances, they must have been trained from birth. And it's like, no, actually, they started a month ago. It's just that everybody else around them is working their asses off to keep that rhythm going and make up for some of perhaps their inexperienced shortcomings because ultimately, you know, that's what they're there for. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, not, not to go into a big topic in and of its own right, but that's why, you know, stunt performers, stunt choreographers and 
all of the crew behind, you know, the, that lead actor that is getting all of the spotlight. All these people matter, and that's why people want awards for these things that still aren't recognized. Yeah, and that's 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 true of Indian action movies, and it's true of Indian dance sequences. Like one thing you'll notice when you watch more of these is that the the background dancers do a lot to kind of make the choreography seem in sync. A lot of times, the background dancers are even better dancers than the leads. Oh, a hundred percent. You you find that in a lot of things. Yeah, and and they really kind of pat they they, they really kind of smooth it over. And the more of these you watch, you like you start to notice background dancers from different. You'll start noticing the same background dancers in different films. Like I dated the girl who got me into Indian films. Used to love to point out two or three different background dancers who were seemingly in every major Indian action movie because they were just that good. So they constantly got work as background dancers. Yeah. And so, and well, so different than stunt people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, trust me. The amount of times I've noticed a stunt person and, and been like in my head of, right, right, that's the seventh film this month I've seen them get killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, no, like what you were saying about the, the, the background dancing, when I obviously watched the film as a whole, I was just, you know, absorbed by the moment, never seen it before. But when I rewatched the video, uh, when I went looking for it, I actually did pick up on a few things that, like you say, there's a lot more choreography going on than just what the two leads are doing. And it's real simple stuff that you really won't realize is helping sell the illusion of everything suddenly being a music video. And there's a really simple one that I noticed that once I noticed it now, it just makes me laugh, which is that when the two of them are dancing at one point and, and they're, they're moving their feet, there's not really anyone else in the frame, but there is a, a lady sat on a, uh, a, a table having a drink or whatever and she's not really part of the dance at that point but their feet are going left and right back and forwards you know and their heads are tilted up but if you actually watch her her head is shaking but it's shaking in time and rhythm with their feet in the opposite way which again is like you won't notice it but it does a great job at making the whole thing feel like it's in sync you know yeah yeah, something about it, it all weaves together in this kind of, to me, it's almost like alchemy. It's like, it's like when, when you bring it out like that, you're like, how does anyone make any of this stuff work? But when it comes together, it's movie magic, not to be cheesy, but that's really what it is. And it's, it's wonderful when it, when it, when it comes together perfectly. And, and in that sequence, in that not to not to sequence, it's, I mean, it's one of the best sequences of the year. I mean, that's, I mean, when they do the supercuts of, of, you know, movie moments of, of, of 2022, that's gonna that scene's gonna have to be included because that to me is one of the most purely joyful cinematic moments of this year. It's I, so I, I absolutely perfect. And uh, to go back to your original question, which is why did I text you? I'll I'll tell you why because I I've kind of forgotten it now. Obviously, Natu Natu is an absolutely standout song. I don't know the name of the song in question, but before Natu Natu, there is the song that is played when. Uh, Raju and Beam rescue the kid like this this is how they meet and it and it basically tells the story of these two becoming friends but obviously we we know the audience that they're kind of on opposite paths or at least we think they yeah. are so there's going to be at some point a collision and you get some beautiful shots in the film itself like them walking uh, either side of like barbed wire like there's some really clever uh visual stuff but the song is great as well and I really liked that song, and I, I can't remember for the life of me what the chorus was, but it was stuck in my head throughout the entire film. 
and then Natu Natu played. And I'm going, yeah. oh, for God's sake, that's two songs now that's going to be in my head probably for the rest of the week. And that's when I texted you and was like, you didn't warn me. The music was so good. <laughs> and it was funny because I, I didn't remember because, you know, I, I watch a lot of these. Sometimes sometimes I forget details. So it, one thing, one thing, that's one thing I paid attention to when I went back and rewatched it. And you're right. The music in this is top notch because you're right. There, there's lots of earworms. And there's lots of really memorable songs. You have the song that the that the captured girl sings as she's do, as she's you know doing the artwork for, for the rich white ladies. That's a very haunting song. And the song about Beam and Raju's friendship is is really great. You're right. You're right. Because it, it, it talks. I don't remember the exact chorus, but it talks about you know this will end in bloodshed. Will, will this lead to to conflict? And yeah. but it's covered up with this, all this happy imagery, and it gets you primed to have your heart broken when they do eventually. turn have to square off against each other. And one of the songs that really stuck with me this time was, and this is going to be something that's going to be kind of hard for Western audiences to grapple with, but again, it's an Indian film. But the scene where uh, Beam is captured towards the end of the movie when he's being tortured for, for his crimes against the British Empire, and he basically sings a song of protest about how he won't kneel yeah. if he was to kneel. He wouldn't truly be a child of India anymore, and it's you know it's it's nationalistic, it's it's melodramatic, but the way it's filmed and it's so sorrowful and haunting that it made it made me tear up. It really did because I, I I am I am an emotional movie watcher. Like I cry at the drop of a hat. I got I got misty eyed during that moment, and it just and the, and the movie's full of of songs like that. Um, they're not yeah. always done in like you know big music video like. Like in the use the phrase Bollywood style, but you know they're they're still they're still catchy and memorable, and you do get that kind of typically Bollywood music video at the end is like a a celebration, thanks for coming and watching our movie kind of thing. But we'll get to that near the, as we're winding down the podcast. Well, I, I also want to say since we've basically just mentioned every song in the film, like uh, I wasn't originally going to, but the uh, song that gets played when the two of them finally fight together at the end there is no way you cannot listen to that song and have some adrenaline start going through your body with everything that's going on screen as well you know yeah i mean it's the music is so well paired in this you can tell that this was a this was a top line production from every aspect like in in the trailers for in the teasers and trailers for our that one of the ways they sold it was they said return was it was over it was they were going to return the glory of indian cinema and it sounds like such hyperbole. You're like, that's, that's such a, that's such a bold, cocky statement to say, but it's kind of true. I mean, they basically said, we're going to, we're going to put our, we're going to put our big dick on the table and say, look what we can do. And that's what they did here. It's a, uh, they're really showing how great these movies can be. Now, do I have some problems with some of the things in the film? Sure. There's some questionable stuff in there. But from a, just a pure standpoint of entertainment and a, a rip-roaring adventure film, a, a melodramatic film in that grand, like, Chow Yun-Fat, John Woo, Hong Kong heroic bloodshed tradition of, like, of like two friends who are at odds and will have tragedy that they have to overcome through their mutual friendship and love for each other. All that stuff is great, and that's it's so well done. This is honestly one of the best films of the year. And any, and any, any of the problematic stuff, any of the, like, plot stuff that may not quite work for me, all of that's secondary to the fact that this is big, bold, brilliant filmmaking. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, it's funny you mention uh, John Woo because 
right from the word go, like before we discussed, I realized they were going to be friends. Um, there were two films that kept floating around in my head that aren't John Woo. But like you say, uh, that's also a great comparison with the fact that there are, he often has these characters that are rivals and friends and et cetera, et cetera. But the first um, film stroke story that came to mind was Les Miserables because the characters of Beam and Raju felt like such natural comparisons to Valjean and Javert in their relationship in that neither one of them sees themselves as the villain. They're both good guys, but which one is really the good guy really comes down to that person's moral point of view. Do you believe that someone that follows the law of the land to the letter is the good guy, or is it the guy that's trying to do the quote-unquote right thing, damn the consequences, the one who's actually the good guy? And I felt that there was a lot of comparisons that could be drawn from the way that Raju is Javert and Beam is obviously Valjean, and then, obviously, when they became friends, I was thinking, oh, this is kind of giving me vibes of Jet Li's Tai Chi Master, where both friends obviously go their separate ways after they leave the monastery and end up on different sides of the political spectrum and the war that ends up unfolding there. And I just thought, like you said, that it's such a old-fashioned story told through a different lens that everyone's going to have different viewpoint of oh this reminds me of this amazing story stroke film whatever it is and the fact that you came up with different ones to me kind of proves that point you know yeah it's it, it's elemental it, it's 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 mythology uh so much of i mean everyone everyone can can at least even if we're not oppressed we kind of understand what it's like to feel to, to feel that way sometimes and to to want to basically to stand up for people and, and do the right thing. And, and, and we've also been at odds with our friends, and the people we care about. And those, those are, those are, these are very universal concepts. They're, the movie is painting in very broad strokes. Um, it's not a movie of subtlety. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean that it's big and it's operatic and it's playing with big emotions. And to me, that makes it relatable as, as big as it is, the themes that they're playing with, are very human feelings and thoughts and hopes and fears and uh, aspirations. Yeah, I mean, um, Beam is very much played as the the naive younger brother of Raju, which I, I kind of liked because Raju gets to show uh, how much of a big heart he actually has. Like the, the version that he is when he's with Beam is in such drastic contrast to the version that you're introduced to, to the version that hunts the enemies of the Empire. And this is long before you get any hint of the fact that there is a twist coming with his character. So if you don't know the plot already and you go into this blind, I think that it was a great way of kind of hinting to people, well, there's more to him than meets the eye because He's clearly a good guy, but he's not necessarily in the greatest situation. And I really liked that because I spent a good portion of the first half of this film going, I don't get why he is so loyal to the Empire, why he is so set in his ways of trying to capture this guy, because when he's not in his uniform, he's pretty nice and likable and he's helping yeah. everyone. And I love that comparison that like when he's not wearing the police uniform, 
he's the sort of guy you'd want to have around as a friend, you know? Yeah, it's, it's complicated. And uh, that's uh, before we get too into that, I, I do. I do want to comment because you actually hit on one thing that, that does bug me about the film. And it's not something that's going to bug the average viewer. And it doesn't bug me from like a story standpoint, because you, you, you have to dig into this stuff to kind of know why it's weird. But the actual the actual historical figure of a beam that that real person was not a country bumpkin. Ah, uh, that's the, and he was not an illiterate. And uh, that's that's one thing that kind of, that, that if you know a little bit about the history of the region and the world and these figures that will bother you. And there are think pieces that are written out there on the Internet about that. If you want to know more about that, it is kind of problematic. I just feel like I have to I have to mention that because it because I, I know about it. I, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to your listeners if I didn't bring that up and say, hey, if you want to go learn more about this, don't just take this as at face value, because, again, it's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. You got to remember that it's a uh, it's it's that kind of exaggeration and fictitious portrayal of real people. So, so and I get why Raj Ramuli did that. I get why he portrayed Beam as that way because you're right from that narrative perspective, it it makes them both endearing. And I, I see why from a story perspective he'd want to do that because you're right, it does create that kind of brotherly, big brother, little brother aspect to it. And uh and the, the character that the uh, the character of Raju is a or the her historical figure of Raju is a much more well known figure in Indian pop in Indian pop culture. So therefore he's obviously gonna be the more the more kind of romanticized one, the more kind of you know, he's the one who's got the the the, the abs, he gets the cool like costume at the end to make some that makes him look like the hindu lord and savior it's again it's not very subtle yeah so i get i get why that's there but but again from from a from an actual accuracy standpoint it's a little weird and a bit sus but i'm getting off into the weeds i just felt like i had to i had to, I had to bring that up to you because you mentioned it um yeah yeah well like you say i i most people in the west myself included watching it would have no clue about any of that. And, you know, it's no different to watching any Hong Kong film that has ties to people that lived in real life. You know, Wong Fei Hung is a great example where everything pretty much about him is a massive exaggeration, historical yes. accuracy be damned. The Ip Man yeah. films with Donnie Yen, as much as I love them, they're not historically accurate by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, it, it's, it, uh, it doesn't strike me as difficult to believe in the slightest that they would drastically change someone's personality to serve the story, you know? And that's, that's exactly what it is. And, uh, and like I said, there are think pieces written out there about it and what that means in the modern political climate of India. I, if anyone's really curious about that stuff, I, I recommend going out and reading it. It's fascinating. I'm not going to get all into that, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, and so that I just want to have that aside to say that you mentioned you watched the beginning of the film, not really understanding Raju's motivation. Like, why is he this cop when he clearly does not want to, when he clearly is a good guy, but yet he's serving this fascist regime. And then that brings to the one trope you, with you haven't seen yet, which I mentioned before, but she, but she personally hadn't experienced, which is the lengthy Indian flashback to explain questionable character motivation. <laughs> that is like that. That is like that is one of the major tropes of Indian hero films, and uh, this one, the, the one in this one's really good. Like you get to you get to see you get to see Raju as a child and find out that his father was part of the military, and he was his father was uh, 
was disgusted by the way the British treated treated the Indian people. So he was a deserter, but he took a, he took a bunch of ammo and a gun with him, and he was he wants to train his village to rise up against the 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 British oppressors, and he trains his own son to help him do that. And it's just a really great flashback. It's like, again, it's another little mini movie. Well, yes, that that's what I was just going to add. Like I even made a a, a note in my notes, uh, calling it a flashback is. Um, an understatement it's practically like a third of the movie is that this other yeah. movie with a different cast <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you a funny story about myself like when i was first getting used to indian movies i, I would go to see them in the theater with with again my girlfriend who got me into them at the time and some of these some of these flashbacks would last an hour and i would literally have to i lean i would lean over to her sometimes and say honey i've forgotten what the actual movie's about like i i forgot the main plot of the story because we spent so long in this flashback <laughs> You know, and that would happen until I just got used to it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it's lengthy. And, and it, like I said, it's like, it's, it's another little movie within the movie, but it, but it's a good movie. I mean, it's the guy who plays his father is an exceptionally actor. I can't think of his name off the top of my head at the moment, but he, he's great. And it has this nice little like one man army quality here where he's, where eventually the British army comes for him and he basically fights them off so the rest of the village can get away. And it's just wonderful little again, like, heroic bloodshed like last last stand type of thing where he basically just kills a bunch of, of white guys and we all cheer because let's face it white people suck um uh, yeah and uh white people suck hey man i am one you know i can say that with experience that we're, we're pretty awful may uh, i I've, uh, i don't think this is going to uh uh break people's uh, perceptions about me but i've openly said people in general just suck uh, it's, it's true. There, there's a great quote in something that's nothing to do with what we're talking about in the IT crowd, which is people. What a bunch of bastards. <laughs> yeah, speaking of bastards, it's the guy who created that show, but that's another conversation. But yeah, I, I do I do love that. I, I do love the IT crowd despite the problematic viewpoints of the guy who created it. Uh, but but back to RRR. So this this flashback sequence has a lot of fun. And if you're, if you're a fan of like the sniper movies, like I don't know if if anyone out there is listening to those, watch like Tom Berenger's Sniper. It's got a lot of really fun like rifle combat in this little mini movie as his, as his, as Raju's dad fights off the British Empire by himself and has his heroic last stand. It's it's good stuff, and you get that nice moment where you see his father makes him swear that he's going to fulfill his destiny and bring guns to to his people. It's just to me, it's again, it's operatic. It's it's really broad and melodramatic. But man, I love stuff like that. And this one's so well filmed and it's so well acted. I just, I dig it, man. No, I, I really enjoyed the flashbacks. I didn't enjoy the fact that it was split. Like you see half of it at one point and then you get like the, the end of it after a big thing's happened in the main story of the film. Um, cause it, 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 it kind of leaves it on a cliffhanger, but you're going, well, I know Raju survived because he's the main character of the film, guys. Like, could you just not have shown me the end? But I get why they did it the way they did it. But yeah, I really enjoyed the 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 rifle aesthetics of it, of teaching them all how to shoot. Um, and also there is obviously a point that we kind of glazed over at the beginning of the film, which comes back in the flashbacks, and then is obviously a big part at the end. But uh, the the villain of the piece, uh, another Scott. Uh, Ray Stevenson playing Scott Buxton, who, by the way, I think did a great job in this film. Like he's played some pretty good bad guys in the past as well, but this one is obviously 
like you said, it's very mustache twirling. It's very much uh, uh, not going for any kind of nuance or subtlety. He is uh, a black and white villain. And I think a lot of actors have a lot of fun playing them. And I think him and Alison Doody, who plays his wife, both played it very well. But there's this great speech he has, and you'll hear it three or four times throughout the film, where somebody goes to shoot one of the Indians and he'll stop them. And he has this great speech about how the bullet was manufactured in England. It traveled on a ship to get here. It then traveled further to get into your gun. So by the time that gun has been loaded into your barrel, it's cost over one pound sterling and you're going to waste it killing someone from India. And it's like, no, 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 no. You you will find another way to get rid of them. And uh, you you hear that at the very beginning, which kind of cements in your mind, this guy's a prick. Yeah. But then you hear it again in the flashbacks and you realize that he was one of the military dudes that was leading the unit that his uh, Raju's father was a part of. And so yeah. the whole story kind of comes full circle. It's like what happened back when these guys were kids is kind of finishing itself off now that they're adults. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's poetry in that respect. And one thing, I, and that, it is a great bad guy speech trick. It's such it's such an awful thing to think, and it's so it's so mustache twirlingly evil uh, that that it's it's such a great. I mean, it's such a great bad guy defining speech. One one little detail I love about it though is it the flashback when he gives a speech. The price of the bullet is much cheaper. That's yeah. I always love that little detail. Um. And and it leads into one of the great badass moments at the end when they finally have when they when when Raju and Beam have him have him cornered at the end, and uh, they they've they've got their they've got their rifle. Uh, Raju pulls out pulls out the bullet and he basically says the speech back to uh, to Ray Stevenson's Ray Stevenson's character and he hands it to Beam and he goes Beam this is so precious to him why don't you give it back to him so he can keep it in his heart where it'll be close to him. <laughs> And like that, that's, that's, that's some badass hero dialogue right there. You know? Yeah. The, the way it kind of wraps up like that is so satisfying. So, so when they shoot him at the end with the, at the end, it goes right through his heart. You're like, yeah. Cause it's just, it's, it's again, it's melodramatic. It's a little bit dopey, but that's why these are fun. To be honest though, I actually think that by comparison, like, although I just said he's a black and white villain, but if he's a black and white villain, his wife is an absolute monster. She is yeah. so much worse than him in every conceivable way. And I, I almost feel like, because when I said earlier, like all the women just accept, uh, you know, the, the Indians is like, but bar one, this is the one. And I almost feel like that was their yeah. way of balancing it out. But she is just so over the top nasty. Not just like, I'm not just talking about racism for the people listening. I mean, to go back to a scene that Matt was talking about earlier where Beam is being tortured, she literally is like, I was expecting more blood. Where's the blood? And then she picks up out of nowhere this modded out cat of nine tails whip that has metal spikes uh, fixed into the entire length of the whip. So that, And then she chucks it down and she's like, here, yours is inefficient. Use mine. And you're just left thinking... The fuck were you using that for? <laughs> yeah, like, like, why did you just have that with you? Yeah, because 
because she's evil. <laughs> I know, but it just makes me chuckle because like yeah. the uh the niece of those two, Jennifer, that obviously Beam has yeah. a romantic interest, in, she stood right next to them when all this is happening, and you're going, yeah. Have you only just now realized that your uncle and aunt are the personification of evil itself, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's in in and and as and as much as trolling it as Ray Stevens is, and you're right, Alison Duty is like way way over the top like i mean i don't want to talk bad about her acting but she is just very one note in this film she's very much evil white lady through and through well the thing is as well is she's kind of the catalyst for the whole thing because she's the one that wants to take the girl home and doesn't see anything wrong with it she's the one that wants being to be tortured rather than just put out of his misery and she's the one that is constantly goading her husband to like do more than just shoot them and it's like Behind closed doors, she's kind of the root of the evil, if in my opinion. Like the, that's the way that the film was playing it. Like, yes, don't get me wrong, Ray Stevenson is is a vicious man that you wouldn't want to cross, but it really felt like there were times when he was like, Right, we've uh we've whipped the local, that's that, moving on. And she's like, No, no, no. He's still, you know, he's still breathing. I want him to be dismembered. Oh, all right, darling. You know, it's like you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's 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 kind of funny in that respect, and they 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 kind of have a moment at the end where she dies. Spoiler, where where Ray Stevenson is all like torn up about it suddenly, where he does the no moment, you know, that you have to have in these kind of movies. And to me, it's to me that's such a little funny moment because she's so evil, and he's not much better that he, that his little heartbroken no can't help but be a little bit funny and satisfying. You know, yeah, it, it yeah. gives you a little bit of, of, of short and fraud. We're like, yeah, suffer a little bit, finally. Well, it, it, a lot of the stuff that comes out of uh, the governor's mouth just drove me mad because it was all obviously doubling down on the evil of the empire. And it was like you, the, the, the line was perfectly evil as it was said. And then it was like someone just came along and stapled the word British Empire at the end of it. <laughs> And even the way he delivers the dialogue, it sounds like he he said it the way it was written. And then the director went, don't forget, though, that it's the British that did it. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. British, British, pound, sterling, sterling. You know? <laughs> yeah. And like, it's, it's it's very much, again, the, the evil white guy in, in international cinema style of acting. You know, don't just chew the scenery. Tear those walls down and really chomp into them, you know? Yeah. But um, flashback aside. Torture scene aside, what was your other like favorite moments from the film when you when you watched it? Well, the 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 fight where Beam raids the house to try to rescue the girl, and and him and Raju come into conflict. That really is the marquee action sequence of the entire film. Uh, it, you're, you're right; it's just superheroes battling. You get the 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 fire and water imagery, like they, they they denote Raju with fire and Beam with water, and they're literally like throwing fire and water at each other as if they were superpowers. They might as well be Aquaman and the Human Torch for a minute. Uh, <laughs> but I like the fact that they do it with real things that exist. Yeah. It's it's not like they actually get superpowers, even though they they kind of do at the end. But that that's another topic. But yeah, they they find clever ways to have that symbolism come out, which they established right from the word go in their mini movies and then their first meeting. And you you knew that this is where this was all heading. Like they were going to have this fight. But I will say that opening shot where they drive the lorry through the gate and you're sort of going, well, d 
there's like three of them and as far as i know only beam can like really fight like he's supposed to be this big powerful badass the shepherd of the tribe so what are they gonna do and then that moment where the covering comes off the lorry and you realize that that opening movie of them going after the wolf going after the tiger that wasn't just uh uh character building that was their plan. Like the, the the cover comes off, and all of these predators get loose from their cages that yeah. they've been acquiring over time, and just descend upon the the people. And I just I just burst out in laughing because I thought, actually, you know what? That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and it's 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 such an amazing shot of him diving out uh, diving out with the animals. It's like it's like a comic book splash page in real life. It's like a full page comic book drawing in real life. And the, and that animal reveal is so cool because, because yeah, yeah, you have that opening, like I said, where he captures them. And then there's little hints of the animals through the rest of the movie. But if you're not really paying attention, you won't notice it. Like there's scenes yeah. of them taking like meat to the animals to feed them. But really by the time they show up again at the end, uh, in that, at that part, you're going to kind of forget about them. So when they show up, you're like, you honestly are like, holy shit, I forgot about the fucking tiger. And then, it, and then it becomes like this whole like fist pumping moment because you literally do kind of forget about these wild animals. And when you realize that's what they're there for, it's such a cool reveal. You know, it really is like, it's, it's so much fun. It's, uh, there's a reason that this movie's gotten so popular. And I fully believe one of the main reasons this movie is called on in the West, like it has, and it really has, it's been a very big crossover hit, a hit amongst people who don't normally watch Indian movies. But I think it's mainly because of that moment of the reveal of the animals in the X sequence that comes after that, because it is so bombastic and cool and just cool and well choreographed and creative. I can't think of any other action sequences like it. And I've seen literally thousands of action movies. I cannot think of one that really fits that same vibe. No, I, I completely agree. I also think it helps that they they strongly imply that the governor and their family are hunters that the the vast majority of the actual british members of the military and the police that are there they dress like how kids think of like old-fashioned hunters and i think the imagery of someone bringing them like this army of tigers cheetahs leopards jaguars and some deer for some reason and just letting them loose in a hunter's home and being like yeah Let's see how you like it when it's the other way around. I just think that resonates with a lot of people, you know? Yeah, there's something very satisfying about watching a tiger bite a, a British colonizer. It's just it's just fun. And it, it feels good. It really does. Yeah. And like you say, the fact that you then get uh, Beam showing just how powerful he really is in terms of his physical abilities, in terms of his planning, you finally get to meet the version of him that was kind of prophesized at the very start when that guy comes and warns them that if you don't return the girl, this guy is going to come for you. And when he does, it's, you know, hell's going to come with him, basically. And he would have succeeded if not for the fact that then Raju comes riding in on a bike. And obviously they end up having their big fight. But also, from a story perspective, that betrayal, as far as Beam is concerned, and that reveal that we've all been waiting for is doubly painful because in literally the previous scene, Beam saves Raju's life because Raju got bit by a snake that they don't have the antidote for the venom for. And so Beam uses uh, his med medicinal techniques that I guess his tribe knows that other people don't uh, and manages to save him, gives him anti-venom. And 
Raju literally wouldn't be in a position to stand against him now if it wasn't for Beam, but he still chooses his own personal mission over the friendship, over his blood brother. And I think that that is such a, a big moment for the film and for the audience that there's no way at that point, if you're invested, you're, you're all in and you can't not feel the, the emotions of that. Yeah. And it's, it's a, to me, that's one thing I love about, about international action movies. We talk, I talked about, I related it to heroic bloodshed movies of Hong Kong, like those kind of triad brother, you know, you betray me. I love you. We're on the same side or like undercover cop movies are, are really big about that too. This is kind of an undercover cop story in a way. Cause in a, in a way, Raju is an undercover, is an under, is, is undercover as a policeman. He's got an ulterior motive. He's got a, secret identity basically and the the betrayal moment of those kind of stories is always something that always wraps me up i I, they were i they work so well on me because something about the the whole idea of betrayal and like and then then eventually them them overcoming that betrayal and teaming up is so narratively satisfying i i love i love that kind of storybook simplistic storytelling i mean i say simplistic like it's and i don't mean it as an as an insult I just mean that sometimes these things, again, are very elemental and very mythic. And to me, that stuff always works very well. Cause again, I love comic, I love comic books. I love like Batman, Superman type stuff. And that, that again, at its base elements is what this is. It's mythology. It's very yeah. simple stories of heroes and good guys, allegiances and betrayals, romance and heartbreak. And the fact that, as I say, it's such a, big set piece moment that i was convinced i was at the end of the film and then you find out no there's another hour and a half to go it's just kind of like well what the hell's going to happen next and obviously as we've alluded to it doesn't go well for beam uh between raju the governor and just their overwhelming force he does eventually lose now he wouldn't have lost if obviously he wasn't so torn up about the fact that Raju betrayed him because he even flat out stabs Raju in the chest with his little Wolverine blades. But Raju is just that much of a goddamn supernatural tank, even though he's been killed like five times over by normal people's standards at this point. He still manages to get up and just keeps fighting him, which is just yeah. hilarious. That's that's very consistent with his character, but please continue, and we'll get to that moment in in a, in a minute. Beam then gets captured, and uh, that leads into some of the stuff that we've kind of already talked about already. But uh, it, it was it's just interesting that a, a moment that, like you say, in any other film, this is the end. Nah, this is halfway through. There's so much more still to go. Yeah, and so you're, you're right. Beam Beam gets captured and gets tortured, and eventually Raju's like. I think I think maybe my 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 quest is losing sight of itself when I'm having to betray this noble person, this guy I consider my brother, to make it happen. So he of course decides to free Beam. Well, it, he does, but part of that is also to what you alluded to earlier is when Beam sings that song, everyone who was kind of just passively watching like they could do nothing, Beam's resistance inspired them, and they actually kicked off even though they were right next to where the governors were and the British army was kind of there, but not really in great force. But the point that Raju realizes is that it isn't just weapons that you need to inspire people and to get them to realize that they can rise up and fight back. In order to get a revolution, you kind of need more than just weapons. You need that spark. You need that fire. And that's what he thinks Beam is. 
Yeah, and I tell you, to me, that's a very, it's a very, it's a very emotional scene. It's a very involving, it's a very emotionally involving scene for me. Cause I, I've always, I've always liked sequences of like, of like the oppressed rising against their oppressors. And this is a great one of just like, of just like poor downtrodden people overwhelming the colonizers of, you know, finally saying, Hey, there's more of us than there are of you. There's nothing to stop us from taking you down. And it's very well done. It's, it's, it's brutal. But again, it's, it goes back to a word I've used a lot. It's very satisfying to see these people who have been just kind of shit on by the British rise up and say, hey, we can we can thrash you if we decide to. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we were talking about films that this is comparison to. I would be very surprised if a lot of people don't make the obvious comparison in this scene, which obviously is to a guy who's being uh, publicly flogged for not bowing down to the people in charge for his beliefs and uh, everybody rising up around him as a result, well, uh, I'd be lying even in my non-religious capacity to say I couldn't see the passing resemblance to Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely something there for sure. Because uh, it has to do with the idea of if you have if you have, if you have pure ideals, that's more, that's more important than, than yourself. And, the, you know, you may die but your your ideas will live on, and that's that's part of why these movies work on me so well. Because I'm a I'm a sucker for things like that. The idea that if you truly believe in something righteous and good, you know it's bigger than you. You know symbols and and martyrdom. And uh, again, it goes back to really liking like comic books and like you know you know the, the Dark Knight trilogy you talked about. You know I can be more than just a man. I can be a symbol. I can be everlasting. And those kind of ideas are are really rampant in this film, and and I I really like that kind of stuff. I find it, I find it very intoxicating, and it just works for me. It's it's one of those things that just very much appeals to my sensibilities as a guy who likes stories. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like you say, uh, Raju. Then we have more flashback, and then he decides that this is the way. And that he's going to break Beam out. And he comes up with a plan. He comes up with uh, solutions. He doesn't know if it's going to work. He doesn't know if he's going to survive after doing it. But he's going to try. And he gets really close to the governor. He says more disgusting things. And Raju just has to sort of smile and nod. But unfortunately, although the governor might be uh, a racist asshole, he's not stupid. And he actually does start to suspect something is going to happen. And I really like the fact that he actually saw the trap that Raju had set for them coming and avoids it. And I love the fact that they showed that he is himself actually a pretty skilled warrior. And he manages to fire off a shot that takes Raju's car off the road in that scene. And I just thought, considering how little time you actually spend with the so-called villains of the film, that was just a nice moment to establish that they're in charge for a reason. Like they're they're not just going to roll over just because you push against them, you know? Yeah, and I also like it because it also establishes that the superhuman things that that Raj, Raju and Beam do in the film are not exclusive to them just because they're the heroes. Like uh, other characters of of similar importance in the story are also kind of superhuman. Yeah. Uh, but not necessarily good people, you know? No, no, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, Raju does indeed rescue Beam, but Beam doesn't realize that that's what he's doing and, and ends up uh, co- uh, basically beating Raju. <laughs> yeah. And it's got one of my favorite action movie tropes where where 
Beam is running towards Raju to kind of fight him because he because Raju's pointing a gun. But what what Beam doesn't realize is that the gun Raju's pointing is not actually pointed at him. It's pointed at a guy behind him who's about to shoot him. I love that. I love movie trope. It's in so many action movies, and it gets a pop out of me every time. It always makes me clap, and like it's one of those things I just love. That is seemingly a tired action trope that I never get sick of. Yeah, no, I agree. Just to to jump ahead a, a little bit because to summarize, Raju gets captured. They kind of basically just trade places. So now Raju is the capture guy being tortured and Beam manages to escape with Mali, the girl that he came to get, not really realizing that Raju actually rescued Mali and him in the process. But what I like is the scenes that follow next where they end up meeting Sita, Raju's uh, fiance, who we have sort of seen in flashbacks a little bit, but again, not in great detail. But we know enough to understand who she is and what she's about. And by this point, we know that Raju is actually a good guy. And what I really like is, kind of like what I said in our talk about Master, is Sita doesn't have anywhere near the same screen time as uh, Beam and Raju. But when she is on screen, she gets to do stuff. And the group that Beam is leading are being hunted by the Empire. They're about to be caught frankly, if it was just left up to them. But Sita decides to help them, even though at that point she doesn't know who they are. And she convinces them, the the, the British guys, that uh, they have smallpox. And that just makes them all immediately run away so they don't get checked, which I thought was brilliant. But also, she's the one that gives one of my favorite moments in the entire film. And she actually explains to them what Raju was doing Again, not realizing that the people that she's explaining this to are actually the people that she's talking about. And the reaction that we get from Beam, where he basically has a meltdown as he now has the other pieces of the puzzle that he was unaware of, and realizing that he's now actually been in the wrong, I love that moment. Like the acting from uh, NT Jr. was just perfect for me. Yeah, I mean, he's again. It goes back to he's got those great eyes. He's got those, and he's he's he, again. He's a good eye actor, and uh, it just works. And he's got kind of he's got kind of like 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 a like a boyish quality about him. So to see him melt down in that way is it's heartbreaking, and you, and you just want to see these characters just be happy and be triumphant. And that's kind of like the last moment where you kind of go down and trodden for them because you know at this point you can't hurt them anymore. They've got to rise up. And win, and it, but it's a nice little, it's a nice little sad moment before they finally get triumphant at the end and start throwing motorcycles at bad guys. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's also it's the fact that after Beams got sad, he then gets angry and he finally like like I said, you spend a good portion of this film with him being this naive person, and you only really see him be this mythical badass in the big fight that he kind of loses, but that's kind of his own fault. And now it's like the badass has come out and this time he's here to stay. And it's like he promises Sita that he's going to go back and get uh, Raju. And I love that moment because he feels like a different character. Like there's this clear switch in his head between the normal happy-go-lucky guy that he is and the guy that goes to war. And I love the fact that it's such a clear switch. And obviously what happens next is just insane. <laughs> yeah, but you, you brought up one thing I wanted to mention earlier when you talk about the fact the fact that, that uh, Ram Sharon's Raju like dies like five times in this film, but just keeps going. 
there's this funny little bit of uh, this funny little bit of of how badass is he, which is another trope of action movies where they always talk about where they always should illustrate how badass a character is. And when 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 Raju's in prison, they talk about how how they're st- they're only feeding him once a week, and he should be starving. He'll be ready to to confess and yeah. you know give all this information. And they're they're slowly walking to his cell, and they don't know about how weak he should be. But when they show him in his cell, he's doing he's doing fucking chin ups, and he's all like jacked and cut and it's just to me that it's such a funny moment but to me that's one of the glories of indian hero films is they take that kind of the trope of, of illustrating how badass a character is and they dial it up to 11 and it's just it works so wonderfully because there's nothing you can do that's going to break these characters fully because they're the heroes and that's to me it's it's again it's it's a little bit silly but i love it so much because it's so earnest and it's it's just it's so it's so pure in a way like i mean because it's just it's not overly complicated it, you can tell the filmmakers and the actors really believe in it and it to me it just works wonderfully well i i completely agree um it also goes back to uh friends of the show action for everyone hosts mike and liam you know they've they've both made points uh at various times that you need to uh hook up your stars you need to sell them and I think no one at the moment does that better than Indian cinema. Like you said, they make both of these guys look like badasses multiple points throughout the film to the point that the audience will associate that with the actors. And like you said, these are already two mega superstars uh, in their respective areas. So the fact that they're coming together, neither one feels like they outshine the other. They're both given moments to shine in their own right. And I feel like that just wouldn't have been the case if this, if they were to try and make like a Western version of this where they brought together two superstars, they wouldn't hook them up, if for want of a better phrase, you know? Well, because Western cinema is so steeped in detached irony that what, what makes this work is sincerity. And we talked about that during the master episode. For this, for this to work, you have to commit to it 100%. And, and American cinema, especially, struggles with that so badly i mean as much as i as much as i like you know superhero movies and action movies in america what's become a real thing and it's become a real thing that's that, that started to bug a lot of a lot of fans is the fact that everything has to be undercut with humor um <laughs> and everything oh, has yes. to be followed up with a thing where it's like well that just happened you know finger snap that's become such a thing and it's and it's made a lot of action films insufferable in america and it, it it never allows for for characters to have truly badass moments because it always has to be undercutted with a joke or sarcasm or something silly because I don't know what it is but Americans and maybe it's Westerners in general are really adverse or afraid of sincerity. I think some of it comes down to the fact that they're worried. Like, let, let's not be around the bush. One of the biggest problems, uh, what, sorry, one of the biggest issues with that is that it basically stems from the MCU way of doing things. And they kind of introduced that as a way to get around the fact that there's a stigma around adults liking superhero films because they're supposed to be for kids, in quotation marks. In reality, Adults have been reading comic books for as long as comic books have been around, whether they want to admit it openly or not. But 
it's still seen, or at least it was seen, as something that you only enjoyed behind closed doors. And I think that unfortunately, the financial success of the MCU way of making it work, which is, as you say, there's never any real seriousness to it. There's never any sincerity to it. Everything is a joke. Everything gets undercut. We laugh at our source material. Look how silly and stupid this is. Am I right? Like, you can only enjoy it ironically has kind of infected everything because they want that same level of success. But look how successful RRR has been and how successful a lot of foreign markets have been now because there's a massive audience out there for people who want this stuff taken seriously. I mean, not to go too far off, off the beating path again, but so many people I've seen on Twitter especially but I've seen it on Reddit, I've seen it on YouTube, have watched this film and other films from India and gone, why aren't we getting these guys to make MCU films? And the thing is, I can kind of understand why they think that, but they wouldn't be allowed to make this in the MCU. They wouldn't be allowed to bring this level of creative control to something like the MCU because they wouldn't think that it would work. They wouldn't have that financial success in the minds of a producer, regardless of if that's true or not. I'm not saying that it would be, because I don't know if general audiences would. But it seems to me that that's the root cause of the problem, is people are too afraid to be like, oh yeah, I like that, or oh yeah, I like this, because they're so worried about what other people will think. But if you can be like, oh yeah, I like that, but it's so silly, like I'm in on the joke, well, then that's fine, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like, I, it's like I, I mentioned before, I, I believe when we're talking about Master, uh, when you watch these movies, you may you may kind of start off with a little bit of irony and skepticism, like, oh, look at how over the top or how exaggerated this is. But if you just if you just go, if you just watch it and, and just let it kind of wash over you, eventually you'll find yourself not really, not just enjoying it ironically, but just enjoying it, period. Like, eventually the irony will be washed away. And you'll just be enjoying it. and But it takes a little bit of commitment to get to that point. And I think what's happened is I, I've seen many stories about people talking about going to see RRR. And they talk about, oh, well, this will be a ridiculous Indian action movie. And for the first 20 minutes, they're like, oh, this is over the top. And, hey, he's wrestling a tiger. Uh, or oh, the guy's fighting an entire mob by himself. But then they say, as it went on, they they, they kind of honed in on the wavelength of it. And, and, and their irony, their, their ironic detachment melted away and by the end they were just swept up in the power of earnest cinema and that's why you see so many people who are kind of become converts and kind of and kind of zealots about this movie amongst amongst you know non-indian peoples because because it because it, it won them over it, it passed that cynicism that's been built up from years of like your deadpool movies and your your john wick clones and all these other kind of mcu movies that kind of built up this level of irony, this kind of thick irony shell, and RRR broke through that for a lot of people, and 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 they just kind of remembered that sincerity can be cool, and it, it's kind of it's kind of maybe it's kind of awakened something in them, and 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 I hope that they'll take that and take it to other movies they watch, and maybe they'll discover other Indian movies, or maybe they'll go back and and rewatch action films they haven't seen in a while that aren't you know steeped in irony but i think that's part of why people have gotten so taken with it amongst westerners 
is because it's really kind of broken through that that kind of ironic detachment that most people have when they watch movies like this. I've seen numerous accountings like that where they're like, oh, this is silly. And by the end, they're like, isn't this just awesome? Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that, again, this is something that I struggle with, and I'm sure you do as well. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand with something we were talking about off air, but there's a, a, a large portion of young film movie enjoyers who don't know any different because you got to remember to the, to the audience, the MCU has been going since 2008 and they, they didn't start off as quite as ironic, uh, enjoyment as they were like the first Iron Man is very, very different to how Robert Downey Jr. ended in Endgame. Um, but that's besides the point. But but my point is, is that these films have been leaving their mark for a long time now. It's 2022. And there are entire swaths of moviegoers that have never tried anything from before they were born and therefore don't know any different. Because everything has become the way the MCU does it. And I think that's part of the reason why RRR has broken through because they're seeing people share these really cool superhero-esque sequences online and going, well, that looks amazing. And it, and it looks like the sort of stuff I enjoy. Let's give it a go. Ah, oh, this, this is silly. But then, like you say, they have that moment of going, no, actually, this is good. Like, why don't they make stuff like this? And then they have that, that moment of going, well, guess what? They did used to make stuff like this. Welcome to the wider world of cinema as we know it, you know? Yeah, and I, th I think that, tr uh, you know, trends are like anything. They're, it's a pendulum that swings back and forth. And I think eventually, and I think it's coming soon, that the, the whole irony-laden action films or, or just movies in general that, that are so prevalent amongst Western cinema now, that's going to give way pretty soon. People are going to get truly sick of it. And not just film guys like you and me, but but, you know, the general public. And it's gonna switch. It's gonna shift back to back to back to sincerity. And I think maybe the way that RRR has been embraced is showing the first little inklings of people responding very positively to sincerity again. And maybe that's the beginning. Maybe it's the first inkling that that pendulum is swinging back the other way. I think RRR is appealing for the reasons that you've already stated but i think perhaps they're they're so obvious that people don't think about it and that is that everything is broad strokes everything is big and open and it's not subtle in the slightest and you might listen and think well yeah obviously it's a it's a big indian action film and it's like yeah but it, it you're missing the point which is that a lot of western films feel the need now to really nail down a specific topic, issue, uh, whatever it might be. And if you're not that target audience, if you're not the thing that they want to appeal to, there probably isn't anything there for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like people are responding to these types of films because it's so big, it's so universal, Everyone can watch this and find something that they can resonate with and enjoy. 
Plus, the big action sequences don't exactly hurt, and there's dance sequences, and you know what I mean? It's like, there is yeah. really something for everyone. And I feel like a lot of American films, uh, more so perhaps than, say, European or even British films, they're obsessed at the moment with targeting demographics. Like, what is the best film for this demographic? This is a story for this demographic. And then being surprised that they're not making as much money as when they just made films for everyone. And I'm not saying that every film has to be made for everyone. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I do find it interesting that there's so many people, not us. Uh, I'm not saying like people that listen to this, especially because we're action fans. Of course, we know this film's going to be good. But there's an awful lot of people that perhaps don't enjoy these films that are surprised. Well, what is it that they're doing that works so well? And you think, well, is it just that they're doing simpler stories that everybody can enjoy that don't try and, and go so narrow with the scope of what it is that they're trying to say? Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I, I, and I've seen, like I said, a lot, a lot of, a lot of virgin reactions to our, and I, th- I think that's part of it. I think it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's just, people are, have forgotten what it's like to, to see broad sweeping stories because so many of our epic films now have to be things like the, again, and if, I'm not bashing them, but the MCU and the MCU, as much of a four quadrant thing as it is, where it goes to all kinds of demographics, it's still a very specific thing. And people have gotten kind of tired of it in a way because it's become very insular and self and self referencing. Like all I can think of is I've got friends who won't watch MCU movies anymore because they can't keep up with what's going on in them and they don't want to even try. So something about the simplicity of this, I think is resonating with some people because, Hey, it's not, it's not part three of an ongoing franchise. It's not some like, it's not some like grander scoping story that you have to watch a TV series or read a Wikipedia to understand. Um, it's just a good old fashioned big movie. And we used to make movies like that and not to sound like an old fogey, but we really did. And we don't anymore because those movies are a big gamble. And no one wants to take gambles on anything anymore. Exactly. And, you know, I've, I've said this multiple times on previous episodes, but that's why recently there have seems to be studios that are, are willing to try. And that's why all of a sudden people listening might have noticed that there are so many films that I'm talking about that have a release date of 2022 next to them. You've got this, you've got everything ever all at once. You've got the Northman, that was another risk take. You've got so many films that feel like they've come out this year that haven't come out for a long time. They're still not made by big American studios. They're all indie films. Uh, not this one, obviously. This is a foreign film. But my point is, is like, I feel like some people have begun to realize this and can see a hole in the market. And given that some of the films that have tried this are finding success, I'm wondering if we're going to see more of them. For example, at the time of recording, uh, for you guys, it's on Hulu, but for us, it's on Disney+. Plus. They just released The Princess, starring Joey King, but obviously it's brought to us by the same people that did Fury and also stars Veronica. Now, I watched that. I'm not going to talk about it because it's going to get its own episode. It's going to be a bonus one, but that feels very much like it's trying to fill a hole in the market that no one else really is unless you're going to the foreign film markets. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. It's, it was only a matter of time before, before someone noticed 
that these things were doing really well on streaming services or these things were doing really well in like the art house cinema scene. You won't see it right away, but I guarantee you with within six months, you're going to see another big Indian movie get a, get a push amongst like you know theater crowds and you're going to see another one with a big marketing campaign because it's starting to set the trend and 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 they're starting to see that people want things that aren't just superhero movies again not 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 to not to discount them because i mean i like them rr is very similar to that the princess in a way is like that too but but they're this kind of standalone but they're these standalone sincere takes on it like they're, they're not again they're not steeped in irony they're, they're not tied to a bunch of other franchises they're just they're just simple ideas in, in, in a movie that you can sit down and watch yeah and, and, so, and it sounds like such a weird thing to say but we're, we've really started to lose that in american cinema we really have because everyone everything wants to be a franchise now yeah everyone because studio heads have no idea what to do in the wake of marvel being so big We've seen so many failed universe type attempts, and and now they're realizing that's not going to work. So they have to try something else, and then something like RRR comes along, and it's really going to shake things up again. I mean, because it's like when Crouching Tiger had its crossover in the early two thousands. It's like The Matrix in the late nineties. These are paradigm shifting movies because somebody's going to see RRR and it's going to inspire them. Maybe it's somebody who's already making films. Maybe it's somebody who won't make their first film for another 10 years. But we're going to see the influence that this movie had eventually. And it's going to, it's going to be far reaching because it, that's just how these things work. When these, when these kind of unique things pop up for audiences who, audiences who aren't aware of them, much like how Crouching Tiger and The Matrix kind of showed Hong Kong action or Chinese action, how that had ripples that went on for years. I think now we're beginning to see the beginning of of how Indian action and Indian approaches to movies is going to affect Western storytelling, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the line. Yeah, 100%. And one of the biggest advantages in that regards compared to, say, when the Hong Kong uh, explosion happened and started to influence American cinema, a lot of the people that work on these Indian action films behind the scenes are actually people that already work in the American film industry, in the British film industry. A lot of the stunt guys and the coordinators, the action directors, they're the same people just flying around to where the jobs are. So it will be very interesting to see if somebody will be smart enough to get the people that already do work in the American film industry, but have also gone and worked in the Indian film industry and just go, right, do what you did over there, but for us. Because uh, it's really it's much easier than it was when, say, like The Matrix took off. Because a lot of those successful films, they were successful because they flew over the Hong Kong teams, and you know people like Jet Li that we were talking about earlier. You know he had basically this iron grip partnership with Corey Yoon and his stunt team, and same with Jackie, he had his team, and it's like a lot of other people didn't really do that. Um, and I think now that's kind of changing with people knowing 8711 and, you know, there are other stunt teams that are starting to make names for themselves known. Um, we discussed it in one of the previous episodes and I'm blanking on their names because of course I am. But, uh, the people that did, uh, Paper Tigers, who, uh, what was the stunt team in Paper Tigers, Matt? Oh, 
Oh god, and now I'm blanking. But they're the guys who did everything all everything all at yes, once. To those uh, guys. Oh god, uh, my, the uh, the Marshall Club kids. Yeah, the, yes. those those guys. Yeah, the, I love the Marshall Club kids. The Marshall Club is another example where I feel like people who really enjoy this style, this genre, they know who they are. You know, they they've popped up in a number of things. They've worked on both big and small films. Obviously, they've had a massive boost in popularity because of everything. If we're all at once. But they, you know, some they worked in Shang Chi. They worked on the Paper Tigers. They worked on a number of smaller projects and really built this following. But people know them for who they are, not just oh, they were those two guys that fought in that one scene. And I think that's a big change from how it used to be back in the day of like the Matrix, where yes, uh, people in the industry all knew who these guys are, like Chad Stahelski. Uh, Daniel Bernhardt, for example, but no one else did. You know, there, there was a very, very small people that maybe knew who they were because of the films that they did, you know, themselves, but you weren't going to find a big audience that followed the stunt people, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think that's, you're right. The world has changed when it comes to that. Uh, and, uh, and it's, it's definitely changed in, in the smaller action fandom world. Um, cause then now it's just even more commonplace than it was back in the early 2000s. But now even, even like, even like your, your average moviegoers are starting to recognize, wait, this guy directed John Wick or this guy, this was a person from, from the Paper Tigers or, you know, or everything all at once. Um, so people are starting to, are starting to see these people and, and, and pick up on it better. They understand that these people are, are what make these action sequences so exciting. And I th- you're right. I think it's gonna, and I think it's gonna, it's gonna help, you know, in, Indian films gain more of a foothold in, a, in, a, in America because we just, they just now appreciate, people are starting to appreciate the craft that goes into these things much more. Cause I, I know I've seen some, I've seen some extra choreography out of American choreographers that has started to use some Indian style things. Like you see the jumping slaps more in in american choreography now like people are doing kung fu style fight scenes you occasionally see like the indian like open-handed slap that's so common in indian action films i've seen that pop up in a few like american short films and a few like smaller american action movies and that's where that stuff begins eventually that means in a year or two you're going to see brad pitt knocking out some guy with an open hand slap you know yeah it's only a matter of time well, it's funny too, because obviously RRR is available on Netflix, but as I said, that's not the version I watched. But, uh, not too long ago, relatively speaking, Squid Game came along and just obliterated everybody's expectations and kind of made everybody go, Oh, there are other markets other than just Hong Kong. And it, it made so many mainstream audiences open their minds to the possibilities of south korean forms of entertainment and suddenly all of the major streaming platforms fell over themselves to put more south korean stuff on which netflix already had a big selection of so it i don't think it was too worried but a lot of the others suddenly were trying to buy up stuff to the point that you know south korea even said like wow all of a sudden we're everybody's uh, favorite people on the planet and i can't help but feel like indian cinema it did it slower and subtly, but there is a massive library of stuff that is available to watch online, but it doesn't, it, ha- it didn't have that big explosion like Squid Game did for the South Korean market. And I feel like it's a real shame because something like RRR could.
could be that uh for some audiences it obviously has been but like for me being in the uk if rrr was in the cinemas it would have been for like maybe a day and it certainly wasn't marketed massively if that makes sense yeah it's had a much more it's had a much more big push here in america and not to say it's been huge or anything but there's been a there's been a big campaign to get it out into theaters and keep its run going uh that's been spirited it's been spearheaded by guys like josh Rotato, who is one of the few american people who really has always waved the flag for indian cinema and he him and a lot of other people have really worked to get rrr in the theaters and and it's made a difference here but you're right. Streaming, streaming ha- ha- will help with that, and I think RRR has been big for people on, on Netflix, even though it is dubbed in a different language. We didn't, we never did bring it up, but RRR is a Telugu language film, and it is dubbed in Hindi on Netflix. Now, is that ideal? No, but if you if you have a chance to watch RRR, you still should even dub because the movie still works dubbed, and that's how most people are seeing it. So you can't really fight that too much. So it has had the, it has had exposure to people who wouldn't normally see it, and I think it's where most people are watching it. And I think it is opening eyes because I mean, because you do see more and more people talking about it. And for a while, it was it was one of the top ten movies in, in America on Netflix, and that's a big deal for a three hour Indian movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember it being in the top ten trending in UK. I don't think it was in there for as long. Uh, but I remember opening Netflix and sort of smiling because even though obviously I hadn't seen it yet, um, I was like, ah, I know what that is. I'm kind of glad it's in the trending. Yeah, because you, you want to see these things success, be successful. And it's and, and that's starting to affect other movies. Like there's a movie coming out soon called The Gray Man. It's a Netflix original. It's yes. got uh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. I have blanked on his name because, you know, all those guys look alike. Uh, Chris Evans, <laughs> directed by the Russo brothers. And it's got it's got a big name Indian action star in it, a guy by the name of of Danush. And uh, yeah, you haven't seen any of his films, but he's got several films on Netflix, and he's one of those guys who's like a VJ, he's like a Ramshare, and and he's he's playing one of these major parts in this in this big like English language action movie. So and that's where it kind of starts. Like remember, like Jet Li didn't pop up being Jet Li right away. He was Jet Li, at least for America, he was the guy in Lethal Weapon Four. Yeah, and sure, everyone else knew who all the action nerds knew that was Jet Li from Tai Chi Master and Fist of Legend and all that good stuff. But for your average person, they're like, "Who is this guy?" And now that's starting to happen for Indian actors. So I think it's only a matter of time before someone like a Ram Sharon or a Tiger Shroff or you know, let me start trying to think of some other guys off the top of my head. But for uh, or like a, a Rajnikan come to America and have another chance at being in an English language film, maybe not as the lead guy, but as a, as a secondary. And that's how it starts. And eventually someone's going to say, well, we could probably, does this guy speak English? Can we not put him in a movie to kind of hype up his charisma? Cause eventually they're going to have a guy who's going to be like a Chalian fat or gently or a Jackie Chan. Who's going to be a, 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 a international actor. who's going to front a, a big budget American film again. It's going to happen. I, I, and I imagine it will be a guy from either South Korea or India. And huh. if I was a if I was a betting man, I would say one of the guys who could really well be that is Ram Sharon. Because again, that dude is incredibly handsome. And I think he's handsome in a way that is universal. Yes. So I think that he could be the guy who could end up being, you know, not necessarily um a a Western big name movie star, but he'll get a chance to be a lead in a, in a Western action movie at some point. 
Well, it's it's funny you say that because obviously uh, we have kind of not gone off topic. This is still relevant to RRR, but just to kind of continue that plot point and then end it. At the time of recording, some of Twitter kind of lost their minds. I- I'm excited for it myself, but Don Lee has basically announced that he's going to be starring alongside Sylvester Stallone in a remake of one of his films, but he's going to be in it playing that character. And what you just said, well, Don Lee's kind of doing it. He's going to be that exactly. first uh, Korean rep- Korean representation coming over to kind of show what he's got. And I mean, it's about goddamn time because that dude is is hella talented. But I I was laughing when you said, "Oh, will it be Korea or Indian?" Because I thought, ah, it would be. It, it won't happen, but it would be so cool if there was a film that just went, "Hey, these are both really popular markets. Why don't we get?" a couple from both and put them together and see what happens. It's only a matter of time. I mean, I really, that's uh, that, that you're going to see something like that. Eventually you're going to see like a, a red heat, like, you know, that, that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's gonna, but it's going to involve someone from South Korea and someone from India. You're going to see maybe a streaming original. That's going to have something like that in it. Where two, where like two like badass from two different cultures come together to solve a common problem. It's going to happen. I, I fully believe that. But yeah, uh, that aside, I suppose we should talk about the absolute ludicrous ending uh, of this film when uh, Beam it comes back and rescues Raja and they have, uh, you might tell me otherwise, but I, I, I wrote down that this might be one of the most unique rescue scenes I've ever seen <laughs> because I can't think of another film where the uh, <laughs> the way in which they fight and get out of the prison is they put Raju on the shoulders of Beam and they literally become one instead of just figuratively becoming one and Beam is the leg part of the combat and Raju is both the fists and the dual wielding rifles which are there were so many bits in that sequence that just made me fist bump especially Raju has two bolt action rifles he fires kills two people lowers and then beam basically pushes the bolts forward with his hands and i just thought the choreography levels are just there's a part of my brain that has got so many uh endorphins going through it now i don't think i could be objective about this if i even wanted to (laughs) yeah the I was thinking of that as the human totem pole sequence and uh it's so it's so outlandish that it actually makes everything else before it seem tame. Yeah. And uh, I think that's by design because if you had put that in the beginning, people would have laughed at all. But, but after two hours and 50 minutes of this, of this, you know, bombastic movie, you're, you're totally invested at this point. So you're like, yeah, of course that would be the way they would do it. Even though it's really ridiculous. You're just, you're just into it at that point And it's, and it just works so well. And I'm, and it's, uh, and they, and they, and they do kind of hint at, hint at it at the beginning during their montage at the beginning of the film, but it's such a it's such a wonderfully silly exaggerated thing played again perfectly straight perfectly earnest that you're just won over by it by that point and it's such a fun way to end to wrap up the movie and we've already talked about the way they take out uh, the big bad at the end with the bullet through the heart and so you have this wonderful little triumphant thing at the end. But one thing I love about the movie, and we can't keep talking forever, but I do want to talk about the final musical number because there's somebody who pops up in the musical number that your average person is not going to recognize. And the musical, the musical number is about, you know, about, you know, having, you know, 
if standing up for what you believe in, you know, fighting for what you believe in. It talks and it points out, you know, famous Indian revolutionaries. But there's a member of of of, of the musical dance sequence that's not a member of the movie per se. He's not someone in front of the camera, but SS Rajamouli himself pops up during the final musical number to sing along with our heroes. And I don't think you'd see that in any other film. It's like, imagine Steven Spielberg popping up at the end of Jurassic Park to kind of like ride away with the heroes at the end on the helicopter, you know? It's yeah. that's so uniquely Indian that it's, I'm having a hard time thinking of a way to even, uh, of even explaining it or something to compare it to. But it's just such a fun, like kind of joyous way to wrap the movie up. No, I, I agree. I, I really like that final uh, musical number. I, I let it play in its entirety. Um, again, it was nice that we got to hear a female singer as well, because Sita got to come in and dance with the guys. Obviously, I assume it was someone else singing, but I really did enjoy seeing everybody pop up. Even the ones that were in the flashbacks got a, a little bit. Obviously, the director did. But uh, before that, because although we did talk about it, uh, we didn't actually say much about the actual fight before they go after the governor where they're in the forest. Oh, yeah. Um, because they essentially go up against what the governor calls special forces. And I'm going to very heavily <laughs> resent that term because I don't know what made them special other than the fact that they look stupid wearing uh, greenage on their hats. But that aside, uh, Raju like you said earlier in the film becomes the embodiment of like a Hindu God. And he has got this bow and arrow, uh, ripped muscles combo. His knee, which was damaged five minutes ago has been healed by beams, magic powers. And, uh, he just goes to town on these guys with guns with an unlimited supply of arrows. I, I made a, a note that he is clearly playing this game with the unlimited uh, ammo supply cheat on because he never runs out of arrows and he fires them faster than Legolas can in Lord of the Rings. It is glorious and he just backflips whilst firing arrows and then the music is singing that he is the greatest warrior in all <laughs> of the land. It is just perfect and it goes on for so long that you kind of forget that Beam is there as well and then without even changing the beat, the song just suddenly sings that the lion is also there and he's going to strike and then Beam comes out of the water with this massive spear and just shishkabobs a load of enemies and you go, <laughs> all right, there's two of them. And it's like you say, it just goes full nuts with Beam just literally yeah. picking up a motorbike and just plowing it into people, stopping bikes just by punching them and Raju is just peppering people with arrows. And then when the two of them fight side by side, I almost felt sorry for the, the bad guys because it was just like, yeah, you might as well just, just, just stand still and let them kill you because you're, you're not going to do anything at this point, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like that video game Dynasty Warriors. I don't even ever play Dynasty Warriors, but you, you yeah. play like this one here and you're just mowing through like, like massive groups of enemies in like big swaths of like sword swings. And that's very much what it's like. They're just mowing through these poor guys. And it's it's so again it's so it's so exaggerated it's so bombastic, but it's just so much fun. And the movie is again it's so perfectly paced. It's just it's a constant barrage of entertaining sequence after entertaining sequence, and the three hours just flies by. Yeah, and it does. It's just such an entertaining film. And like I said, there, there are things that are questionable about it. There's things that some of it doesn't quite work in places, but from just a purely entertaining standpoint. 
it's probably the movie of the year from just a pure entertainment standpoint. I mean, because you're never going to find a movie that's so eager to just show you cool things and, and just have you have fun as you're watching it. Cause it's, there's no lulls. There's no, there's no like down moments. It's just, it's again, it's just cool thing after interesting thing, after cool thing, after interesting thing until the credits roll. And it's just, that's such a rare thing in cinema nowadays. It is. It is. Um, it, it you know, it, everything about that final sequence is just pure adrenaline entertainment. There is, you know, it, it's not even trying to convince you anymore that there's any chance that they'll lose. Like they know full well that they're in a, a winning situation. Like that's what the whole point of this is. It's like they were trying not to fight back originally because they believed they couldn't win. Now they believe they can win, so they're just going for it. And he, ha- you know, Raju gets that great line of, so how long do we fight these jackals? Let's go hunt down the actual lion. And I love that because it's not, let's go kill him, let's go try and get him. It's let's hunt the lion. It's like they, they're just there. They're almost having fun themselves because they're, you know, the, the regular troops are just so beneath them. It's not even a threat anymore. And, if you're not on that wavelength by the time you get there in the film, I'll be very, very surprised because like you say, this film does a great job of making even the most cynical person just enjoy it. Like just, just stop trying to worry about it. Just, just go with the film and it will probably be one of the most entertaining things you've ever seen. Yeah. And I, and I'm so grateful that people are going to watch this on Netflix, you know, and that, that means you can, the people listening to this right now, if you haven't seen it, it is so incredibly easy to watch right now. So I, I highly encourage everyone to do it. Give it a chance. You know, if you've seen an Indian movie before, great. If not, this is a great one to start with. And uh, it'll and if it's, and if and if it's your and if it's your first one, this this will open up a whole new world for you of of just fun cinema. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, personally, uh, even though I I genuinely think RRR is the more entertaining film, I still stand by the fact that Master is the great. Uh, starting point for the simple reason that it has a more uh i don't want to say realistic that's not the word i mean but its story i think is more grounded whereas rrr's is more bombastic but i think that uh, knowing what i do know about indian cinema and the craziness that i still have in store for me this might be a better starting point for some of the more insane things that are out there it's true, and I and I, and I and I don't think you can go wrong with with either one. And I, I love that they're both so easy to watch. I mean, Master again is available on Prime Video. It's even I believe it's even legally available to watch for free on YouTube. So both these films are incredibly easy to watch. And uh, you know, this and, and RRR is going to be a, pr- a pretty big movie for a while. It is kind of like the the modern day Crouch Tiger Hidden Dragon of being a crossover hit. And I just want to encourage people if you if you have seen RRR. So please try other Indian movies. Watch Master. You know, Google Ram Sharon, Google Junior NTR, Google SS Rajamuli, and just dive in. Don't be intimidated by it. Just go out there and try to discover more of this stuff because there's so many fun things out there waiting for you to find. And, you know, no one's going to bring it to your door. I mean, we've been very lucky that RRR got a big push and everyone can know about it. but. There, there are many movies in Indian cinema that are as good that haven't gotten nearly the promotional hype behind them. 
So go out there and maybe you'll discover one. I mean, and or maybe you'll discover another movie that's not quite as good, but you still like a whole lot. Just don't be afraid to be adventurous because what we've learned from this is that going outside your comfort zone and watching something new can be an amazing experience. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there are so many on Netflix that are in my list. Unfortunately, my list on Netflix is long, but <laughs> there are several that even before I watched Master, believe it or not, caught my eye. And like just the premise makes me want to give it a go. I also know that there are some big staples of Indian action cinema that like friends of mine have watched and said, you know, I can't believe you've never seen it. Balu Bali was one of them, but there's a few others I don't remember. And uh, I will eventually get to them. Yeah, you know, it, it will happen. But if you're like, if you're not like me and aren't trying to make a podcast and uh, sort out a lot of other stuff, then just go watch the films, guys. They're all fun. So I'm told. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going to give you a suggestion on air. I think you should watch the Bahubali films not right away because you need a little bit of a breather because it is very much like RRR. But I would love to see you do an episode about Bahubali with someone else who's never seen an indie film now at this point because I feel like you've got your you've got your toes in the water. I think it's time that you spread that love to someone else. Just a show idea for you. Do it. Don't do it. But I think it would be neat. Oh no! Uh, to be fair, I already like want to do that uh, with with someone. It's unfortunate because uh, one of my friends, who as I've said before, she watched Master because of this show. I don't know if she'll watch RRR as well. I, I mean, it's obviously up to her. But I would love to get her on to talk about it because, like me, she does doesn't really know anything about the 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 cinema. Um, but yeah, as far as other other podcasters who who also enjoy action films go. I think my biggest challenge will be finding somebody else that also doesn't have much experience because it feels like everybody uh, seems to know their stuff when it comes to the, these things. I'm late to the party on this one. Well, I know I think they're out there. I think I think the challenge may be finding somebody who's willing to take a chance on it. because You're either going to get zealots like me or, you know, super enthusiasts or you're going to get people who are going to turn their nose up. So I think the, 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 tr the, tr the trick will be finding someone who's open to it. So maybe maybe you can have her on the show and you guys can talk about Bahu Bali. You know, not yeah. to get too, too far in the weeds, but I think that'd be interesting. And I think that's, again, the idea of, of pushing this love forward, of, of spreading the word of, of action movies to other people. I think that's a neat idea. Um, but as far as, as far as RRR goes, of course, I think we're both, we both recommend it highly. Again, it's super easy to watch. Um, it's readily available. It's a great time. The three hours will fly by. It will, it will make your day better if you watch it. You're going to have so much fun with it. 100% agree, and I think uh, what better way to end the show than on a high recommendation from Matt. I, I, is there anything else you wish to say before we end, Matt? I uh, just said I always enjoy this. You guys can find me on, on, on social media, on Twitter, at Wheels Critic. That's wheels like wheels on a car and critic like I'm a film critic. Please come join me. I talk about Indian action movies. I talk about other action movies. I, I love having followers. I need the validation. Um Thanks for listening to me. I pretty, always appreciate being on the show, and I had a great time. I, I can't wait to come back someday. Someday. <laughs> yep. Thanks to Matt for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure to have him on. I'm going to hand you over to future me now, so enjoy whatever words of wisdom I have for you then. Until then, guys, see you later. All right. Hello. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Obviously, you guys probably had a blast listening to that. I certainly had a blast recording it, and uh, thank you to Matt once again for doing it. 
the other film you will hear in a few weeks. Uh, there's other stuff that needs to come out before then. Usually, the order I record in is the order that you hear stuff in, with maybe one exception every now and then, but this next batch of episodes are all over the place. So, yeah. It's gonna be uh, a few weeks before you hear his other episode, but it, yeah, it's very, very different to this one. The next episode is actually gonna be out on Thursday, and it is on No Retreat, No Surrender with Kurt McKinney and Jean-Claude Van Damme. It, uh, we will be joined by our resident Van Damme expert, Rob Antiquera, who was last on to talk about Cyborg, but if you know anything about that film, you know that in reality, the only real thing that Van Damme did for that film is uh, put his name to it after he became famous, because Van Damme is realistically only in that film for maybe 15 minutes at a push. However, it's still a good film in its own right, and I had a blast talking about it with Rob, and uh, the reason why that is coming out on Thursday is because it needs to predate next week's actual Monday episode, which is going to be on No Retreat, No Surrender 2, Raging Thunder, and No Retreat, No Surrender 3, Blood Brothers. And you might be wondering who the guest for that one will be, and why I've kind of rushed it, in inverted commas, to make sure that I had the first one out and I'm doing it on a Thursday. Well, part of the reason is because the show had a much longer than anticipated hiatus. It was only supposed to be a week, and then it ended up being way longer than that. Um, so I wanted to kind of give you guys a, another episode, you know, try and shake the cobwebs off, so to speak. Uh, so that one was actually recorded, like, last night. So, like I said, the episodes are all over the place in terms of when you're listening compared to when I recorded them. But Monday's episode... It has a very special guest. I'm very, very excited to say that the person I'm going to be talking about those films with, and I must stress in the loosest possible terms, because good God, we went all over the shop, and, and uh, I don't think anybody listening is going to care because it was such a good conversation. But it was the star of said films, Lauren Avedon. So... Next Monday's episode will be on No Retreat, No Surrender 2 and 3 with Lauren himself. I was also joined by someone who has become a very good friend of mine, a stuntman who goes by the name of Cryptic Soul, aka Jay Chung, and he and I get on like a house on fire. I've really liked getting to know him over the past couple of months that uh, we were introduced to each other by a mutual friend. And he loves what I do, I love what he does, and you're going to hear him in full episodes in the future. You probably won't really hear him in next week's episode, but he was there, so I will, you know, obviously put his name there. But uh, you guys are going to enjoy when he actually comes on to talk about martial art films, because trust me, he knows his stuff, and his uh, his family has some very interesting connections to some of our favorite films and I think you guys are going to really really enjoy his insight and just hearing about his journey. So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming in the future. We got Rob for the first No Retreat No Surrender and then we got Lauren to talk about his two films the following Monday. So uh, 
Get hyped, guys, and I hope to see you there. But that's it for this episode. Take care of yourselves, guys, and as always, thank you very much for joining me. On the action!